episode number 42 of Whatevery. Also known as It's Raining in the Bye Bye. Yeah. <laughs> we are on episode number 42 and it's Father's Day, so we've had a couple of beers and a lot of steak, uh, which is the way it should be. You don't want to explain the title? Yeah. No, uh, that, that, okay, so the title, that comes from my son, actually. So the other day, um, we had this weird freak thunderstorm. It's like the middle of fucking June here, and it's been awfully hot the whole time. Uh, like 90 degrees for the past, you know, three or four weeks at least. And then uh, all of a sudden it this starts... last this, week's been like 60. Yeah, torrential downpour the other day, and uh, we get thunder and all that kind of shit. And my son looks out the window. He's, he's two, so he's not retarded or anything. It's fine. He looks out the window and he's like, it's raining in the bye-bye. You know, because outside is bye-bye to him. And we go outside, we're going bye-bye. So it's raining in the bye-bye. Which tells you how often Eddie's kids play outside. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Try not to let him out of the house. It's like a bubble boy situation. Kind of. Trust me, mine didn't play outside until like a month ago. So. Yeah, <laughs> we need a bigger yard. I think. Anyway, uh, but yeah, so we're back. It's just the two of us this week too. Yeah, uh, you know the the um, original team. Um, what are we talking about this week? So. Um, before we get started with the show proper, um, it's important to address uh, something that actually happened today. Um, today is Sunday. Normally, yeah. we record on Saturdays. Um, you you had a um, a religious obligation yesterday. I, yeah, I did. Um, as a member of the clergy, uh, you know, I had to perform a wedding. So uh, a couple of friends of mine, Sarah and Dustin, got married yesterday, and I got to do the wedding. Uh, I don't think they're going to ask me back, but it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> well, let's hope they don't have to. Yeah. Um, for those of you listening at home that may not know, um, Eddie and I are actually both uh, ordained ministers. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> at any given time, it's a possibility we could marry somebody. It also, I figure whatever is basically tax exempt. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, a religious experience, right? Uh, I would hope so. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. changing lives. Re- Reverend Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Your honor. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we're going to get a little, a little deep, uh, a little dark for just a, a quick minute here. Um, if we had done the show on a regular schedule, we wouldn't have caught this until actually next week's show. Um, yeah. this is the, actually the closest thing to breaking news that whatever he is probably going to get to. And you'll probably hear it in like a week. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, we lost, uh, Anton Yelchin, uh, today who plays, uh, Pavel Chekhov in the Star, Star Trek reboots. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've Freak only, accident. I've only seen him in a few things, but uh, obviously, you know, the nerd side of this is definitely Chekhov in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, he, I also saw a movie he was in, he starred in actually called Charlie Bartlett, which was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed the flick and uh, man, fuck, he's only 27 years old. So kid, kid has been acting for a long time, actually. Yeah. Um, if you ever saw Hearts of Atlantis. Okay. Um, which is a book that's uh, based on a small section of the Stephen King book, Hearts in Atlantis. He actually played the kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, Billy, I think was his name. Okay, Billy or Bobby or something. It was something with a B, um, but he played the little kid um, in it. And actually, that role is split with into two people. Like, there's an older version, and and then it, the flashback version, which is the majority of the movie. And he was he was really good in that too. Um, also, um, I don't know if you saw the the Fright Night remake with um, uh, Colin Farrell in it several years ago. No, I don't think I did. Yeah, um, I did, and I actually really liked it. Um, not necessarily Colin Farrell's part, although he wasn't bad in it, but uh, Anton Yelchin played the the protagonist, 
yeah role in it and he was really good as well so yeah the other thing i know him from is odd thomas which actually uh i saw on netflix and i had avoided it for the longest time then finally i watched it and it was not uh like the best movie in the world but it was good um it it was not you know it was definitely like one of those like you find on netflix and expect the worst but actually you know it was it was pretty entertaining so yeah he actually had like four or five films that were listed as as in either completed or or post-production at this point too so we're we're, we're beyond i think is done filming and all that shit well it opens next week yeah or not next week but like oh uh, yeah you're right you're right i'm like way off for some reason i'm still thinking it's like a year ago yeah yeah that's the last time i think i remember we talked about on on the show probably three or four months ago it it's actually this is this is pretty cool and we'll we'll post visuals too at some point yeah but this is this is the the new poster oh that is sick. which if you've ever seen the original poster from star trek the motion picture like it's eerie eerily similar like we'll have to actually do a side in a good way in a good way it's not like a ripoff but it it, you can see the homage in in the thing so yeah i like that so um gosh man it just sucks he he obviously was um a very good actor but just 27 27 in 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 such a weird you know death yeah this is not even like a, a forever 27 like he did drugs and yeah that's fully what i expected when i saw he died i was like well i guess we're gonna find out he had like a massive heroin addiction or something like that but nope. yeah uh near as i can tell he was found penned between his vehicle and and like a brick wall that had uh, a gate yeah it was a gate but yeah yeah um engine still running too is my understanding of it yeah um which nobody knows why the the transmission was in neutral so i mean obviously we know why the vehicle moved and whatnot but uh tragic i mean just weird fucking really really bizarre um here's the thing um he's not been bad in any performance i've seen him in no and none of the things that i've seen him in have i been like oh i can't fucking stand that guy in fact the opposite like odd Tobbins to me wasn't like a blow away movie but he is a charismatic guy like i enjoyed his portrayal of it so um what we're gonna do is we're gonna throw up his imdb profile link yeah oh when we do the show notes um here's a movie that i haven't actually seen yet i don't think eddie has either but it, it it actually piqued my interest a couple of weeks ago when I listened to uh, Sir Patrick Stewart on uh, the Nerdist podcast talk about his most recent film, uh, which is called Green Room. Okay. Anton Yelchin actually stars in it as well. Um, and Green Room is essentially about this band who's really down on their luck. They end up getting a gig in the in the Pacific Northwest, um, and the venue is kind of in the heart of like well known. Uh, white supremacist territory and whatnot, and so they do their gig and they get their they get their cash. But one of the band members realizes he's forgotten something in the green room, and he goes back to get it. Um, what he sees is kind of a brutal murder perpetrated by a skinhead group, and uh, that's where the movie really gets gets going. That sounds really cool. Like I... um, Patrick Stewart actually plays the leader of the white supremacist group, and apparently his wife tried to sit down and watch it twice and had to leave the room both times. So I'm wow. really curious about this movie um, for that reason. See that. And oh, because man. Anton Yelchin anyway, like he's, he's I would have watched it for him as well, but he's a good actor, but man, Patrick Stewart, 
God, you know, like I could see that because he's such a good actor. And, you know, a lot of the things we've seen him do haven't really stretched him as much as an actor as he probably could. Like Xavier, you know, is an interesting role and it's certainly like a nerdgasm on screen, but it's not exactly like a real stretch for him as an actor. He definitely had his moments in TNG and some other other projects that he's worked on, but um, he's vastly underutilized probably. Um, The thing about Patrick Stewart is like he's kind of the king of two huge franchises. Yeah, for sure. And this is kind of one of those things. And, and he says it in the interview. This is this is not an exclusive. He didn't talk to us. This is uh, him and, and Chris Hardwick. Of, Maybe of he should. Nerdist. He should. Yeah. Um, but he he talks about how when he gets scripts sent to him, because everything's by email now, um, he only prints the scripts that look interesting. Like, of some like sort, there's something yeah. that he's really interested in doing and whatnot. Um, this one, he got the script and he not only printed it out, but he went around and made sure every exterior door because he was partway through the script and he he was like man this is this is crazy and he kind of went through and made sure that all of his doors were locked and in his words armed a security system for stay in mode and poured (laughs) himself a big fucking glass of scotch and he actually did say fucking in that sentence because patrick Stewart. i don't know if you guys have ever heard him talk but he does swear on occasion and it's it's i love that goddamn brilliant i love that um this is not part of the show notes at all. This is just uh, this is part of our send off to Anton Yelchin. But anyway, yeah, and so now we're gushing over Patrick Stewart. It Green makes room, sense. Green Room in particular, though, like I, I'm interested in this film, and I was interested in this film. I wanted to see it really badly. Um, it's just it's one of those movies that didn't get a wide release. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna end up having to wait for it to to hit home video probably before I get to see it. Um, it's just unfortunate that uh, we're talking about it right now because one of the leads is is no longer with us. So yeah. Um, man, well, that's depressing. Yeah. On to happier news. Yeah. Thank God. Cause I mean, as sad as it is, let's, let's, let's bring this party up and not 2016 up. hasn't been a great year. Has it? No, fuck 2016. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Other than uh, the fact that we've had some really per- good shows this year. We're, we're poised, you know, not, not that 2016 can get much worse, but we're poised for either a Trump or Hillary Rodham Clinton white house. So fuck 2016. Seriously. And, and 17. Apparently. Yeah. And probably the next three years after that. Yeah. All right. All right. Wait, wait, wait. We're venturing pretty far from nerd territory here. So let's get back into the thing. Um, Let's talk DC. uh, Because we've got actually a big piece of news for us uh, DC nerds who especially are, you know, heavily into the DC nerdery on TV, which we most certainly are if you've listened to the last, I don't know, say 40 episodes of the show. 40, 41, somewhere around there. Yeah, something like that. Um, Yeah, man. Because coming from a show that we didn't like starting out and then all of a sudden by the end of the season we're like man that show's way better than a lot of other shows yeah and then not knowing if we were going to get a second season of it um and then finding out that ultimately we are it's just moving to a different network and whatnot um if you haven't figured out by now we're talking about supergirl yep uh not only do we get supergirl next season but in the uh two-part opener we're gonna get her cousin as well yeah which that's a beautiful little reference to the show because up until this point we've pretty much only heard him referenced as his her cousin the big guy etc. Yeah, we are of course talking about Superman, Clark Kent, Kal El, Kal El of yeah. Krypton. Uh, so Superman's coming to Supergirl, which is uh, well, th- this I think is going to you know kind of toss the show on its head a little bit. 
Um, we've kind of been avoiding Superman up until this point, I think, because we wanted to give Kara a chance to shine on her own. Uh, but one of the things that I think a lot of people like about Supergirl is the fact that uh, she is Superman's cousin. And there's an interesting, um, you know, sort of interaction between the two, because I don't think they've shown this too well in the show. But Kara is typically the hot headed, like brute force, like in a lot of adaptations, Kara is the stronger between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, if this show had stayed on CBS for a second season, I would have been adamantly against bringing Superman into it because as we saw by the end of the first season, um, Kara really can yeah. stand on her own. She doesn't need this, but um, it's transitioning from CBS, which has way more viewers uh, to the C-Dub, which has considerably less. And we're going to lose viewers because some of them aren't going to know that it transitioned to a different network oh, for sure. um, and whatnot. So um, bringing Clark Kent slash Kal-El slash Superman into the into the fold when it moves to CW is actually a really smart move because if people hear that they're going to get to like turn on the TV and see Superman and see a different take than we've seen in um, the Batman versus Superman or the Man of Steel series um, or uh, you know since it's been how many years Smallville, in Smallville now yeah. it's been at least six right six years yeah I want to say 2010 yeah yeah um, so this is a good move uh, this is this is going to be fun. Um, See, so this is interesting to me because um, it's both, uh, you know, positive and also kind of a little bit desperate, I think. Like, I, th- I don't think if it had it stayed on CBS, I don't think they would have brought Superman into the fold. Uh, but I think the fact that it's moving and was near cancellation this this uh, season has got them thinking, like, we got to bring some big guns to the table to keep the show afloat. And so the way that you do that, of course, is by bringing the biggest gun, uh, which in this case, of course, is Superman. So, uh, for those of you unaware, we, we've cast, or not we, but, you know, the CW has cast Tyler Houchlin. I think it's Hachlin. Hachlin? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, Tyler Hachlin. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about this guy. Have you seen or heard of this guy before right um, now? No. Which, um, he's in Fifty Shades, which is, obviously, I haven't seen it from that, because <laughs> I haven't fucking touched that at all. Um, yeah, I mean. He was also in MTV's Teen Wolf show, which also, nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I'm I'm neither a fourteen year old girl. Well, I guess I'm just not a fourteen year old girl is yeah. the thing. Um so here's the thing though. He was in um Everybody Wants Some, which was directed by Richard Linkletter. Okay. And that dude knows how to cast. Yeah, for sure. So if if uh Linkletter cast him in anything, um it's because he can act. So well, I hope so, because at least from a phys- physicality standpoint, he looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, like he, he, I think he could pull off the cape, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited about this actually. Um, and, and again, like I said, if it stayed on CBS and they and they brought Superman in, I, I'd have been pissed about it because I really do feel like Melissa Benoist and uh and her character don't have to have that. No, not at all. Um, it's also going to be interesting to me, to me to see if they how they play this, especially again, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, but we're going to keep doing it. Because of the finale of the Flash and leading into the Flashpoint, uh, who knows what we're getting with the CW shows this year? See, that's okay. So there's a couple of nerd reasons why I'm excited about this. Uh, number one, Superman. Uh, that that's really it. Like, bring Superman to anything, and like I'm there. Like, but secondarily, because of the way we set up the the end of the Flash, and I, you know, when I think about it, it is a little sloppy the way that they did it. Like, there's no real lead into it. Like, you could easily see this be like a you know eleventh hour final scene added. 
but it opens up the possibility for so many things. And so seeing Superman cast for uh, Supergirl now um, and, and how the Flash ended and how they're all coming together in some way, and super excited. Like, th- this is like a nerd dream uh, that, you know, I've probably had since I was 11. I just didn't know it. But, uh, you know, Flashpoint on TV, just there's so many ways that they could go with this that are all amazing. So, Dude, yeah, you're not wrong. Except for when I was 11, Flashpoint wasn't a thing, but whatever. No. No. Let's not get... Only pedantic. barely, though. Only barely. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that's that's our, our Supergirl news for the week. Yeah. Which, I mean, we're... Well, what, they're what probably June, be a whole... June 19th as we record this. So, I mean, the fact that we even have Supergirl news right now is kind of fantastic. Yeah. No kidding. Um. All right. Um. Another... Oh, you, you changed the order on me, so it was actually in order. Awesome. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Look at you. Um, more cool DC news. This is actually on the video game side. Uh, this was interesting. I don't know if you caught any of this at all. Uh, GameStop accidentally leaked uh, officially that Injustice 2, the video game, was happening. GameStop? But GameStop. they're such a great company. Um, GameStop? Here's the deal, man. Like People talk shit about GameStop all the time, but uh, yeah. they are... 100% responsible for the amount of video game sales these days. Not 100%, but you know oh, what I mean. No, like, no, no, no. Amazon. Like, I haven't bought a game at GameStop for so many years, I can't dude, even think about it. they do so much for the console community, though. They do, but, like, you know, it's ridiculous. the console community. It's ridiculous. Oh. Well, what are you going to play Injustice on? Are you going to buy it on PC? No. I mean, let's be fair. Like, I do prefer PC gaming, but I also have a PS4, so, like, yeah. I can't get too uppity and, about it. And you know that when Injustice 2 drops, like, you and I are going to go buy it, and we're going to do some online shit, so... That's a solid idea. And yeah. and then your son's going to kick my ass before I realize it's actually not you. Um, it, it's true. Like, he's not even joking either. My son is like a little autistic child prodigy with without Without the autism. Yeah. They're, they're, he doesn't seem to actually be autistic, though. He's just kind of a little asshole. Yeah. Um, so this is... Happy this Father's is, Day. This is funny because um, after GameStop did this, the... Um, one, of the one of the heads of the development company that is behind Injustice 2 was basically tweeting and talking shit about GameStop. And he was like, how do you make something not trend? <laughs> and I actually kind of got in on the fight a little bit because I'm just like, um, if this is true news and you want your game to sell, you don't. Yeah, like, like <laughs> step one is you, you, there are intentional leaks all the time with this right. shit. Like, uh, this is exactly like this is a new story because of this, which also actually, you know, uh, uh, tinfoil hat, but maybe they orchestrated it. No, here's the thing. Like this was this happened like a week before E3. Okay. Um or did, a week and a half before E3. And so like they ended they, up were they going to announce it at E3? Yeah. That yeah. that's why they were pissed. So like they Ooh, ended up announcing move. the week before E3. But who cares? Because people are already geared toward E3 and they're already looking for whatever. Like if you're a video gamer, like you really E3 is kind of like your thing. Got to say if uh so okay, let's let's take an E3 detour for a second. Um, or really a Zelda detour because fuck me that did you see any of the things uh, uh, the Zelda game I did not uh, I'm so excited for it like I played Twilight Princess a little bit on the Wii um, and, I, have I, it. and yeah. I think I even played it a little bit on the Wii U because it you know backwards compatibility is sweet but uh, you have a Wii U yeah we do actually wow. I know two people in the world now that have a, a Wii U well more specifically now Kellen has a Wii U because again, another little fucking child prodigy. Like, you want to sit down and play some Mario Kart? He might kick your ass, and he's just barely like two and a half. No joke, he's freaking phenomenally good for a two and a half year old. Yeah, but Wii I'll U. just be like, hey, it's raining in the bye bye. 
Yeah. And then he'll cry and run away. <laughs> <laughs> so and that'll hit him with a red turtle shell and it'll be all over. But anyway, we got the Wii U for the kids who were um, my my other two kids are um, six and no seven and nine. <clears throat> Not seven of nine, though. Seven and nine. Here's the thing. Don't take this the wrong way, but if one of your kids was seven of nine, I would try and fuck your daughter. Like that's <laughs> if one of my kids were, I'd probably have to move countries. <laughs> I'm yeah. just, I'm, I'm just saying. Like, sweet home, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my kids are seven and nine, and we bought them a Wii U probably a year or two ago for Christmas or his, something. His like older that. kids, obviously. Yeah, he might not. He might have just mentioned that he has three. I have three. So we bought them a Wii U, and they played it for like I don't know. 15 minutes and they were like no i'm gonna go back and play minecraft now uh so it, it sat collecting dust for i kind of can't blame them probably like a year and then kellen was like oh this mario kart shit's pretty cool and so like that's all he does he plays the shit out of mario kart mario kart and super mario whatever one is on the wii u um 3d world or something like that i want to say um, yeah, that's i don't that sounds wrong actually it's uh what was the wii version there was super mario wii and then I think there was Super Mario There's like and Galaxy. Luigi Wii U or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but they also have Mario Maker, which I understand is stellar. It's just the problem with the Wii U is that if you're not into Wii, like if you're not into the Nintendo universe, like if you're not a Mario guy yeah. or a Zelda guy and you have the patience to buy a console and then wait six years for a new game, like... No, that, that's entirely it. Like, the only reason you buy a Wii is if you want first-party titles. And so that that leads me to the, the big announcement at E3 this week. I am not hugely into Nintendo. I do like the Mario games. I played the shit out. Even the Wii U, um, which is probably the least I've played a console that I've ever owned. I, I did play the hell out of the Mario games. Um, and, you know, Family Night with uh, uh, Mario Kart is always right. Um, but... A new Zelda game has me like super primed. Like I, it, it's amazing to me that we're this far into the Wii U's con- life and we don't have a Zelda game already. Um, yeah, we Casey and I played through Super Mario Wii U. Um, I bought Twilight Princess. I don't think I finished it. I didn't either. And it was a port. Like Twilight Princess was actually a GameCube game. It, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the thing with Twilight Princess is that by the time that I actually got around to playing it, it felt very old, and it was basically like a slightly nicer version of uh, Ocarina. It was a good port. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they but, did a slight upscaling of the texture and what have you, but the the short of it is, like, it's a last-gen game that's basically a carbon copy of um, what came before it. So, And then there was Skyward Sword, which had a lot... I think Skyward, though, was... Uh, like a 3ds type of title though no it was it was for wii really yeah okay you might be right it was 100 percent for wii because you could get it with like the gold um oh okay wii yeah 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 or wii controller you. yeah um and that's actually when they dropped uh motion plus on us like as a like this is now just the standard yeah um like i think the thing about zelda on the wii console so far has been basically like the biggest the biggest title that i've heard is actually Wind Waker HD. Like, that's the thing that's gotten people most excited, I think, about well, Zelda on the Wii. the thing about the Wii is the motion stuff was cool as a novelty. Um, I don't want every game to be like that, though. Like, I have more fun playing uh, uh, virtual console games from the original Nintendo or Super <laughs> yeah. Nintendo or whatever um, than I do playing a lot of the Wii games. And, like, that's the thing. is like Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask. Like, those were great games without any of that yeah like you didn't need that to have a great story and a fun game to play 
So that's that's another thing. I, I wish I could remember the actual title, but that's the thing that has me excited about the next coming Zelda game. There's a lot, a lot of new looking mechanics in there. This looks like a very different uh, uh, Zelda game from what we've seen so far on the Wii. So, man, I am so fucking excited. Like, uh, Injustice 2, don't get me wrong, bringing it back around for a second, it, it looks really cool. Um, but, yeah, I, the, the Zelda game, when I saw that trailer, I was like, oh, I'm just gushing. Because uh, Zelda, you know, especially Ocarina, like, uh, Ocarina came out when I was a freshman, which means that I was exactly its target audience. And I played that game literally like every waking second where I was able to like as soon as I got out of school I went over to my buddy's house we you know did the pass the controller off thing for a half an hour and played the game until or if you die yeah you give me the controller and whatnot. Yeah. yeah we did that until we beat the game and it took you know maybe two weeks tops so fun I remember um, doing that with Tomb Raider like the the first the first Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider. For the PlayStation. Yeah. yeah um that was another actually kind of perfect game for that sort of yeah. uh you know back and forth too breath breath of wind there you go. Yeah. So Breath of Wind um, is the the title that's coming out, and what we think is it's going to be um, on the Wii U, uh, but also may come out with uh, Nintendo's next console, which I think right now is coding. It's on like both NX or something it's, like that. It's NX. Yeah. It's on both NX and uh, and Wii U. So new Zelda game always has me excited, but this game particular uh, in particular, having seen the you know three minute trailer or whatever, looks just amazing. So I'm super excited for that. I'll drop this in the show notes. Real Finally, quick. in our um, Frank or uh, in our DC Universe uh, news, we've got some Frank Miller inspired uh, inspired Funko Pop characters. Yeah, man. Uh, we I don't think we've ever talked about Funko Pops before, but, uh, but I you, love them. Yeah, I mean, if you're in the nerd sphere, you've probably seen some uh, uh, of the Funko Pop characters. So, and if you're not, go Google it. It's super fun. Uh, and it's you know a nice little addition to your desk or bookcase. Here's here's the thing, man. I love these things, and I'm not in it for the collectability. No. Um, I take them out of the box because yeah. uh, I just I want them to to be displayed and whatnot. I'm um, currently looking at several that are not in the box. No. Um, I've got a Wolverine, a Skeletor, and Opie Winston from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Uh, I've also got my newest edition, um, which I bought. I. To clarify, um, I didn't have to think about that. I just got this one today, and it was a Father's Day present. But um, I bought my wife a Star Lord figure, which is sitting on her desk. Yeah, and he, he actually is like I think my favorite. He looks pretty rad. Yeah, um, and then I got the for my Father's Day present. My my kids and and my wife went out and bought me a uh, Funko Pop uh, Deadpool in the X Men colors. Yeah. Um. Here's the funny thing. Like I'm the super nerd of the family. My old lady, though, has a Walking Dead Daryl Dixon still new in box sitting on top of her yeah, bookshelf. which she won't take out. Nope. <laughs> she or refuses. If, if you want to get your dick ripped off or, you know, uh, whatever the girl, equi- I guess, like, whatever, uh, that would be a good way to do it. Come over to Matt's house and take out the Daryl Dixon Funko Pop. Yeah. Yeah. So, Frank Miller inspired Funk Inspired. Why can't I say that fucking word tonight? Yeah, it's because you've had more than a couple beers already. Yeah. It's like two and a half. Whatever. Three. Whatever. It's fine. Um, I, I should still be able to speak words is all I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> Frank Miller inspired Funko Pops are coming out. I did at that time. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Um, so that's exciting because, you know, Frank Miller has done a lot for the comic book community. We're actually going to talk about Frank Miller work a little bit later in the show. Yes, we are. Um, but the these ones look pretty badass. We've got a very um, Dark Knight Returns, Batman, uh, Joker. That, that that looks like uh, Batman in the um, the Superman killer suit. 
Does that have a name? The tank suit? Yeah, the tank suit. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not like Veronica, but it's got to have a name, right? So anyway, um, that's exciting because, A, Frank Miller is now mainstream enough that he gets his own action figures, which, you know, it's, it's been a damn oversight up until this point, so. Um, kind of, sort of. I mean, the thing is, is if you're if you're a uh, comic book fan, like, you're familiar with, with his work, even if, even if you've never read The Dark Knight Returns or if you've never read Year One, uh, DC kind of took the year one thing and ran with it and they did Batman year two and year three and year zero and whatever else. So his work is, is inspiring shit all yeah, the time, whether, sure. whether or not you're even familiar with them. But yeah, this is, this is kind of cool because, um, I mean, obviously they look, they look like Funko pops. I mean, you yeah, that's I mean? kind of the whole shtick, but like, I want to see like what I, what I'm more interested in more than like the Funko pop dark Knight figure or the Funko pop Superman is the Funko pop fucking Bruce Wayne figure, like the old gray, <laughs> Bruce Wayne, that, that would, would be, be awesome. Rad. Yeah. And there's a Carrie Kelly Robin one, which is rad. And I, I'm See, probably going to buy that as soon as it drops. I cannot wait until Carrie, Kill- Carrie Kelly gets more um, acknowledgement. Like, I want to see Carrie Kelly come back in a major way. Like, I'd really like to see in Rebirth somehow. I mean, which, fuck, we're getting Watchmen in Rebirth. Why the fuck not? You know, let's get some Carrie Kelly action in there. The Dark Knight universe is kind of the one thing that they haven't blended with anything else like the watchman was kind of that property like the watchman was a do not touch kind of a thing and and honestly the 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 reality of that is because um alan moore uh when he when he developed these characters he actually wanted to use characters from a different line of comic books that dc had recently purchased Mm -hmm. but they were kind of told no don't touch these characters and so they they created their own characters but they were actually perfect analogs of characters that were in this other comic book line I, i don't remember the name of the series that it was mm-hmm. but it's not even like the watchman characters themselves are original ideas the story itself 100 percent um but they were inspired from different characters yeah so i'm just saying we should get carrie kelly in the whole bat universe we should I, especially I, because this this batman already the opening of it we've got a little bit more teamwork aspect involved and we've got this whole thing with the watchman involved so why the fuck not anyway yeah, yeah no i agree let's let's talk marvel marvel yeah we got some marvel shit yeah, so fans of uh, Spider-Man and rumors on the internet are going to love this uh, particular story, and that's uh, Donald Glover is said to be joining the Spider-Man Homecoming film. Yeah, um, this is interesting for one very specific reason, that is because Donald Glover voiced the Miles Morales character in the cartoon. Yeah, actually, one of my first first exposures to Donald Glover because I wasn't really a big Community fan was he, seeing the petition for him to do Miles Morales in the next Spider Man incarnation, yeah. um, which of course didn't happen. Uh, it, and at the time, that I think that was when I was reading Ultimate Spider Man, and Miles Morales was you know just becoming a thing in my purview, you know, probably a, a year or two behind. Um, and uh, I was really excited about that prospect, so I thought that was a great idea. And of course, it, it doesn't look like that's going to happen unless Tom Holland, you know, gets knocked off tomorrow or something. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, fans are excited about this, um, and and I, I get it. He's not going to be Miles Morales. No, he's 34 not. years old. Like, if anything, he might be Miles Morales' dad. It's funny because that means he's <laughs> older than we are, which actually kind of pisses me off because he looks a lot younger than I think I do. Dude, I'm 38. Yeah, so he's a lot younger than you are. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> I appreciate that I 
present myself as being younger than that, but yeah, no, well, I'm, I'm older than he is. I, I guess I just pictured in my mind's eye, we're both still like about 13 year old boys. And so that confuses me when it comes to our actual ages. Dude, I didn't even know you until like you were 17. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, yeah, Donald Glover is definitely not going to be Miles in this movie, but it's it's funny to me that um, this is a thing that's happening because there was that whole big, you know, uh, um, uh, fan following and suggestion that he should be Miles. Uh, and now he's going to end up in the Spider-Man movie, but he's not going to be Miles. No. I, I, I think it would be cool, though, if they did bring in Miles Morales somehow and he was like the dad or, or something like that, if he was related to the Miles Morales See, character somehow. I think that would be cool, too. He's too young to be the dad, though. Like, he's not too young. Like, he could be the dad of a character about 16 years old. Maybe? Barely. He could be. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I don't think the Marvel would go that way. Although, if the new Spider-Man is anything to be uh, learned from with the whole, um, you know, Marissa Tomei being, you know, increasingly younger every time I see her sort of thing. Um, yeah. Marissa Tomei is Aunt May. Um, I mean, this is a hell of a segue, but yeah. Yeah, well, you talked about it before we, we went yeah. to break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, let's talk about that. I, I mean, I'm just, we're supposed to be talking about Donald Glover joining the Spider Man cast. Rather but talk about Marissa Tomei. <laughs> so would I. Like, Tony Stark, not wrong. Yeah. I mean, Tony Stark's rarely wrong, but d- definitely in this case, not wrong. Like, Tony Stark's totally going to bank Spider Man's aunt. I agree. Yeah. I, I think he already did. Probably. Like, like I'm, I'm surprised, like, I'm surprised Peter didn't walk into the apartment and be like, it smells like ass in here. Like, <laughs> what's going on? God damn it, Tony Stark. Yeah. Every time. Tony Stark, that's my aunt. Yeah. Uncle Ben only died like six months ago. Come on, guy. Yeah. This is bullshit. Uh, anyway, Donald Donald Glover coming to Spider-Man Homecoming. I, I think at this point, I should check this article again, but I don't think we know anything more than that. No, and there was there was... Also, another article that I saw that I didn't post because I, I didn't honestly take the time to read it, but like there was another thing that said Marvel was denying Donald Glover being cast. Um, Which, but ouch, ouch. I mean, I don't think that's the case. I mean, it could be, but ouch. I've only seen that one article, though, like out of all the rest of them that I've seen that talk about him actually being cast in one. I mean, this so. wouldn't be the first time that I've seen something like that blow up way out of proportion and be totally wrong. Well, I mean, we had the Vulture rumor with Michael Keaton that turned out to be not true, and then all of a sudden it was true again. Yeah. So, so it also wouldn't, and we've also seen that kind of thing happen a million times. Like, oh no, that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. And then, yep, it turns out it's totally what we're doing. Well, and the thing about this movie is it's going to be scrutinized more than any other spider-man movie has to date because it's one of the oh. this is the third reboot in like what 15 no years joke this so. is probably uh, of superhero movies like there's so much writing on this movie yeah they um first off this is the third spider-man reboot second it's the first one marvel's actually been involved with it's how it's how feige got his claws into it i mean yeah, that's for which, sure and at, that comes across with a negative connotation i don't mean it that way at all because feige honestly like he knows what he's doing so yeah, there's so much writing on this uh, particular incarnation of Spidey, I think, because um, first off, we've already seen a little bit in Civil War, and we got just the tiniest little bit of taste taste of what Spider-Man could be, and I think so far the reaction to that has been overwhelmingly positive, but you know, given a 90-minute movie, they could still totally fuck it up, so. Yeah, here's the thing. The Spider-Man scene in Civil War is awesome. Oh, don't get me wrong, totally awesome. Uh, the Spider-Man scenes, I guess, he's in, he's in more than one scene, but... Um, the thing about it is, is when you stand back and look at it, like that is the one piece of Civil War that literally 
didn't have to be there in order oh, for, for the sure. movie to flow. And so it gets criticized a little bit because of that. I've seen, I've already seen some people kind of be down on it. Yeah. Um, just for that reason. The thing is though, is that they actually did a good job telling the story and yes, he didn't have to be there, but it was so much fucking fun that he yeah, was like depending on like the scene in Batman versus Superman, where we get the, the whole justice league email thing. Um, that's that ham- was contrived as fucking shit. That's ham fisted. The Spider-Man theme, uh, a thing in uh civil war, not quite ham fisted. That's like a nice, you know, I don't know. Uh, let's say pancetta, uh, it doesn't need to be there, but it still works. It's still totally good. Like Okay, ham-fisted. That's where you were. Yeah, so, like I said, not quite ham-fisted. It's just a nice pancetta. It it goes well with a lot of things. Um, You can you can shove it, shove it in there, and it's fine. Um, Is that like a Italian meat? Yeah. You never had pancetta? No. I've had bruschetta. Bruschetta is a bread. That's a different thing. <laughs> uh, and I've had prosciutto. Prosciutto. Okay, so it's like prosciutto, but pancetta, I think you'd, you know, probably fry up crispy like a bacon. It's a little bit like bacon in that way, I think. So, just... So, prosciutto is like kind of a, a, a hybrid between salami and bacon. Sort of. Uh, so... It, it's, I mean, these are all cured meats, and they're all delicious. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. We say ham-fisted, but you could put ham in most stuff, and I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I put ham in my chicken. God, this... We're stretching this metaphor pretty fucking far. <laughs> Um, we we like cured meats, I guess is what we we're do. talking about. Uh, what Spider Man? Yeah, yeah, whatever. Cured meats and Spider Man. Spider Ham. Yeah, Spider Ham. With it, <laughs> an actual comic book character for those of you following along at home. Really? Yeah, you've never seen Spider Ham. I guess I have not. All right. <laughs> Unless we're talking about Spider Pig, like I mean, from The Simpsons, I've seen that. Well, vamp for me while I look it up for okay, you. Okay, so. Find it. Yeah, that that particular scene in Civil War doesn't need to exist. None of the things about Spider-Man in particular need to exist in that movie, but it's still so fucking good. It's a small picture. Yeah, it's exactly what I thought it would be. <laughs> Which is not bad. That's Spider-Ham. Yeah, no, okay. That makes sense. He's he's legit. Yeah. He was he actually showed up in the uh Spider-Verse crossover. <laughs> Did he really? Oh yeah, they brought every Spider-Man that they had the rights to. Okay, so it's seriously like a the, the, that's like a serious thing then. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. Okay, I just I kind of expected that that would be like somebody's deviant art or something like that. Summer vacation, and uh, we do have some more news in the Marvel universe, and that's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two completes its filming this week. It does. It does with a with a very very very. Uh, entertaining and heartfelt speech from Chris Pratt. Yeah. Which you should check out because I didn't. Um, oh, I totally read it or read it, watched it. It was James Gunn and, and Pratt. And yeah, what's stupid about this is, did I put, no, you put this in the show notes. I had a similar link. I think I probably put it on the show Twitter at whatever you did. show. You posted on Twitter. Um, that they wrap filming, but I totally missed the speech part of this. So when we get done with the show, I'm going to go do my homework. Also facebook.com slash whatever show. Yeah. Uh, Nice. Uh, when we get done with the show, I'll probably go watch this. But um, yeah, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I didn't know I'd be excited about this, but I really am. Um, I didn't think I was going to be excited about the first Guardians. And then I watched it and I was like, holy shit, this is the best movie that they've done so far. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. But I was like, well, I didn't know who any of these people were. But it turns out I really, really like this uh, set. You know, like this is a really good character set. And uh, the movie was super good. So yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 wraps filming. That's awesome because that just means I'm closer to actually seeing the movie. Here's the thing. It's a year away, by the way. It comes out July 2017. Well, fuck. Um, um, 
the thing about the Guardians is that, and I, and I say it was the best movie to date that they had done. Maybe it's there's something to be said for the Avengers and in, in the first Winter Iron Soldier. Man. I'm Winter saying. Soldier is that after? Yeah, that was post Winter Soldier. You're right. <laughs> the the thing about it is is, um, if you can cast John C. Riley in a movie as that has a, an overall larger scope, and still that movie is to be taken seriously as one of the better of that particular line of movies, you've done something right. Yeah, no, for and no, sure. No offense to John C. Riley, but he is very much a slapstick, very much like straight up fucking comedy actor. Like yeah. that's what he is. He definitely has that aspect in in Guardians as well. And you put him with Glenn Close as the quote unquote straight man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Um, Marvel's actually super good at that. Like uh, Ant Man is kind of the same way. Like both Ant Man and Guardians, I think share a lot of things in common. And that whole thing is the same thing. Same thing with Michael Pena as uh, um, I can't remember his fucking character's name. Just the guy who says "bag it up." just bag it up yeah yeah <laughs> that guy um the thing is is with marvel like they marvel knows how to take themselves with a grain of salt um especially in the cinematic medium dc can't like that's the thing is like they and, and i i mean that negatively <laughs> well here's the thing the, the the key difference i think with uh both marvel and dc right now or the key difference between the two especially in their cinematic universes or really solely in their cinematic universes is DC wants to take itself so fucking seriously. Um, and Marvel's in that realm. Like they take themselves fairly seriously, but they managed to make a good movie. Like they Dude, managed to make a good in Thanos to do a fucking infinity gauntlet movie, like, which is like universe ending shit. Yeah, and it's also something that sounds ridiculous. Like, if you go just... I mean, we have to go back a ways now, but if you go back to the original Iron Man, there's a reason why there there's a somewhat stark difference. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. There's, was... a, there's a difference between what we saw in Iron Man and the whole feel of the Marvel Universe today. Like, the Iron Man we saw was certainly more lighthearted than any of the DC properties, but especially coming off of all the shit with the Dark Knight it seemed a little bit grounded in reality. Like wasn't like, obviously that like, that's something that could happen down the street or anything like that, but it seemed a lot more grounded in reality. And then Marvel slowly branched out from that until now we got, like you said, Thanos and the infinity gauntlet and all that kind of shit. Here's the thing again, Marvel knows how to do what they do and still understands that at the end of the day, they're making movies based on comic books. Yeah. A big, big part there. It's a movie. It has to be good. It has to tell a cohesive story. It has to be fun to watch. Um, and be based on comic books. Like, they totally embrace their comic book roots and do all this stupid comic book shit that we loved as nerds reading the comic books. And they understand that people that read comic books before the last 10 years were kind of universally made fun of by the rest of the world and whatnot. It's not so much that way these days. And I like that. Um, I, I like I, to think of myself as a trendsetter. In yeah, that, it still fashion. is a little bit. Like, I don't think that, um, like, depending on who I'm talking to, I don't know that I necessarily want to say, like, you know, my first off, never mind. That's not true. Fuck it. I'm 32. I'm married. I have three kids. Like, you got nothing on me. Unless I'm applying to you for a job, like, there's nothing. You have no power here. So, uh, like, I'm totally fine telling people I read comic books, but Dude, you know that the reaction you're going to get from my certain people. wallpaper at work is the Joker. Right. But I'm just saying, like, you know, some people walk in. Quite a lot more people these days walking into like, oh, rad. Because um, people still say rad. But there, you know there's All some the people that walk in and they're like, oh, he's a giant man child. Or at least that's how I feel. Um, 
I, just, I don't, I just I don't know get that anymore. Wrong. Like to me, it's just like if if you can be an adult, and I got six years on you, so I, I can yeah. I can say this from a wizened point of view. <laughs> I mean, to me, if you're an adult and you and you can um, talk about comic books or like bring up a comic book that you've read or liked or that that's touched you at some point in your life, not the same way as a Catholic priest, but just yeah. been important to you. Um. I respect you more. I really like the way the comic books, you know, really cut my balls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, different thing. Um, Sorry. So, to me, the comic book medium is not something that even, like, I don't, I don't, I don't dig that it, it's almost insulting to me that it was ever made fun of to begin with, because comic Oh, it book, certainly is. Comic book writers and the artists that that draw for them and ink for them and everything else um their job is so much harder than a lot of people realize cuz they have to actually figure out how to tell a story together cuz it's not the same person no oh, yeah Nine, 99% of the time it's not the same person you have a writer and you have an artist and you have another guy that comes behind the artist and does the colors and whatnot and the colors i mean you're working with a medium that's already there but when you're when you're an artist and you're working with the writer the writer says okay this is what's going to happen and this is what needs to be explained on the panels. And then the, the artist has to actually draw it. And if it's not what the writer was thinking, then there can be a conflict there and it could be delayed, whatever else. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of shit that could happen. So, yeah, I really love comic books from that standpoint. Like there's a lot of collaboration that's involved in there. I'm just saying like, um, we're, we're, you know, there's for a long time been a, a stigma associated with comics and you, you didn't necessarily, you know, especially when you were in high school and my age, I wouldn't have probably admitted that I was into comic books at that time because people would, you know, you just get made fun of, you'd get made fun of. These days, I think that's a little bit different. I still think that there's a little bit of stigma for, you know, you know, kids our age uh, from certain people. And, and I don't, I think that's getting more and more rare. Like, I don't think most people take, uh, like I read comic books on my breaks at work all the time. And for the most people, I don't think they notice or care because it's, you know, like it's, it, we are, we are at a very cool place where it's kind of cool to be nerdy. Like, yeah, definitely nerds are the sort of the trend setting thing. And there's a lot of nerdy properties like Game of Thrones. Like if you would have gone back and told me when I was reading Game of Thrones, which admittedly was pretty late after its original publication, um, if you would have told me that was going to be like the biggest thing on TV right now, I would have told you you're full of shit. Um, so can't do it. You can't do it. I, yeah. You know, I would have said all the same things that a lot of people probably said about making a good Lord of the Rings movie. But which you know, Pete Jackson did a decent job of. Yeah. So here we are, and uh, Guardians know, like, of the Galaxy two. <laughs> it turns out people just like shit that's done well, like uh, Batman versus Superman. Batman and Superman, biggest properties in the world, probably, or two of the biggest properties in the world, two of the biggest name recognized properties in the oh, world. Easily. And uh, the thing about Batman versus Superman is we haven't seen a really good product in a while. Um, and so they're not doing as well as Marvel, who's taking these, you know, decidedly nerdier concepts and making them these big, gigantic, uh, you know, movies that everybody loves um, yeah. because they're doing, I mean, they're just telling good stories essentially. Well, the funny thing about it is, is like, I was never reserved when I was in high school and whatnot about talking about comic books because it was something I enjoyed. And I found people that kind of gravitated to the same direction as me. Um, I didn't shy away from mentioning it in front of people that weren't of that persuasion and whatnot. And like the funny thing is, is like I'm pretty sure a bunch of guys in my class um, and girls are talking about doing a, a 20 year reunion this year from my graduating class. 
Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking about going, and it's going to be funny because all the things that I thought were cool back then, 80% of those people that are going to be there are now going to think are, are cool or is cool. And uh, I'm just going to be like, yeah, who's laughing now? Tough guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did really well in high school baseball. Where'd that get you? <laughs> <laughs> now we have our very own podcast. Right. <laughs> really hard to do. Yeah. Super hard. It, I mean, it, it did take me like hours to figure out how to set the shit up. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> All um, right. Let's talk about but, some other stuff. No, hold on. Hold on. Okay. My, okay. Go back. Yeah. A final point on Guardians of the Galaxy and why it's successful is we talked about how Marvel can... Uh, laugh at itself and DC can't and a good example of that is we're going to get an Aquaman movie coming up what is it next year I think that's right 2018 so you're 2017 uh, you know I'm not really sure it could be either Wonder Woman I think is later this year I think Aquaman is next year something like that I, um, yeah, yeah that's maybe it's correct. after Justice League I don't remember anyway you're not going to have a scene in Aquaman where Jason Momoa is kind of walking through a town on uh, like in the surface world and hear somebody be like, I hear that guy talks about fish or talks to fish. You know, like you're not going to see that because that's like. And I want to so bad. DC because- is almost ashamed of that. Like, even though it's kind of how Aquaman has been perceived for the last 60 years. It totally is. And that's the exact thing that Marvel, I think, would to- do totally differently. Like they would embrace the campiness that Aquaman's seen with and they would flip it on its fucking head. And then they would show you why that's not really what it is. Yeah. Like. I really, really want them to do uh, something like that with Aquaman, but I'm—I don't think they will. I think Aquaman... I'm pretty sure he's just gonna br- like brutally murder people. Like I'm hoping, seeing that they're making some changes with Jeff Johns coming in, um, being more involved in the whole universe, that they're going to do some things like that that'll you know really focus on telling a good story and make it interesting. But especially with Aquaman, Aquaman's been the butt of jokes for like the past twenty or thirty years. And I, I still want to see a little bit of jokiness and then I want to see them flip that shit because obviously Jason Momoa is a fucking beast and they would not ca- cast him if they were going to have a Namby Pamby Aquaman. So it'd be nice to throw that little in joke in there or something like that. We're, we're talking that movie. the guy who played Ronan in Stargate Atlantis and more recently obviously who is Cal Drago in Game of Thrones. So come on. Yeah, for sure. He's a badass. All right, that's that's enough on the well. And okay, we kind of didn't talk about Guardians a lot, but Guardians does that really well and balances humor and action and a good story and all that good stuff. Yeah, I love I mean, Guardians, I do, and I, I I will. I did not see the first one in theaters. I will definitely see this one in theaters, probably with you. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a fairly solid bet actually at this point. Okay, so now let's move on to some miscellaneous shit. Uh, so number one, we have some Walking Dead news, and this is actually <laughs> kind of funny because it, it just shows to me that they're being even more wishy-washy than I thought. It's really fucking crazy. It's yeah. so fucking crazy how far out of their way they went for something that just ultimately nobody liked. Yeah, what I'm thinking this is... Okay, so let, let's stop bearing the lead for a second. Um then uh the nerdist reports that the walking dead filmed scenes for all 11 of neagles oh, negan's neagles sorry he's he's sobering up folks it's it's yeah neagles is something you do when you want to stretch your ball muscles or something like that um <laughs> so uh all of negan's victims uh, all of they, negan's they filmed victims. a death scene for all of them yeah all 11 so doesn't that seem fucking wishy-washy to you 
like they don't know what they're gonna do, so they're just gonna they're gonna film them all so that they can yeah. play that shit off in the it, next season. And it's so funny. Um, it, I listened to uh, I think it was about a month ago. Kirkman did another podcast with Nerdist where they talk about it a little bit, and they do talk about his AMA where he was very upfront about answering questions about that particular scene and whatnot. Yeah, we we actually put that in the show notes somewhere. And yeah, we, we talked, talked about, about it on the show. Um. But uh, it's still kind of like uh, one of those things where, like, every once in a while, somebody will bring up and be like, "Hey, who's he going to hit with that baseball bat?" Like, just out of out of randomness. Um, and that's obviously what they're referring to because it's just a bullshit fucking way to end a season of a show. Yeah, I gotta say, like, I really respected Kirkman for doing the AMA and for taking those questions. I head still on. do. I do. And and honestly, but I still think it's artistically the wrong fucking decision. And like, I think I think Gimple is a good showrunner. I think ultimately he has our best interests in mind when he does things. I just think this is one of those things that wasn't a hit. Like it did no. not, it didn't do what it was intended to do. Yeah. Like first off, everybody's they're all saying like the, the, the um, show side of things is all saying like, watch the first episode of the next season and you'll see what we're going for. You'll see what we're doing. But reading this news just has me thinking like, you don't fucking know where you're going. You only see, you filmed all of that shit because you were like, well, we'll decide over the summer what we're going to actually do with this shit, and then we'll go from there. Well, that's the thing. is like I'm not typically like a big conspiracy theorist or anything, but like as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, so they're killing Daryl, but they still want people to watch next season, so they want to get the ratings for season season 7, episode 1 way up there before they realize that oh, he's dead. Oh, I definitely dead. thought... You know what I mean? If it's not... It, you know, whatever. You could insert whatever character's name there, because um, that's part of the thing about the scene is that killing one of these characters is going to be a big fucking deal, especially in the show universe. Um, it's going to be a big deal. But what kills me here is just the thought that like they're like, oh, you just got to watch the next season one, when it seems like they're setting all this up because... You don't necessarily, um, I don't know, you can tell a, the, a similar story regardless of who you kill at the beginning of a season seven uh, um, just by killing any one of these main characters. The The funny thing about this is... Like that, Mad Libs, like drop in a name that you like <laughs> and you're good. The The interview that he did with Nerdist is like he'll he'll every once in a while be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's why we killed Daryl. <laughs> and then the next time he'll be like, no, that's, that's, that's why we killed Rick. You know, like he'll just drop random names and stuff like that because he's he's kind of taken the ball and like now he's running with it a yeah. little bit. Um, and he he, got, he even kind of started doing that with the comic books. He's like that. That's why in one fifty six we're killing Andrea. Like <laughs> and I'm like what? <laughs> so if you don't so, read the comics, that's a bigger deal because Andrea in the comics is actually important, not annoying at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, also not dead. Yeah. So. Uh, man, I just—I don't know. I, don't get me wrong; I'm still gonna watch the show. Uh, I'm still watching fucking Arrow, so I might as well still watch right. The Walking Dead. I, I still haven't watched the rest of the season. I don't blame you. Like, if you stopped right now, it's fine. I'll we watch it. That's the thing. Is just, I'm just like, well, when I get time. If if I you know had five minutes to just you know shit on Arrow, you know, if it doesn't get any better, if I just had five minutes each show to shit on Arrow, I'd probably still watch it until its completion because that's the kind of glutton or masochist that I am. But uh, yeah. Don't no. don't get out of don't go out of your way to. It's, no, it's, I don't watch it. Doesn't it. It's just that I've been doing other things like putting the show notes together and whatever yeah. else. This week's show notes brought to you entirely by Matt. Oh, I we, wasn't looking for that. Come on. No, no, but it's funny because <laughs> we were talking about this before the show. I had all this shit lined up to go into the show notes, and then I went in to put it, and it's already there. So uh, th- th- another good example of you know great minds thinking alike. Here's and the all thing. 
and I explained this to him earlier. It's not that I work harder at this. It's just I have a job um, that tends to afford me a little bit of extra downtime in front of a PC. Yeah. So I'm just I I get some downtime like on my lunches or whatever, and hey, I'm like, oh, what's going on in the world today? Hey, hey, oh, I'm, this I'm has trying, to go. I'm trying to strike you off here. Stop getting in the way. Nah, All I, right. just, I don't need it. You know, I'm... it's fine. <laughs> I mean. Usually I don't turn that down, that's all I'm saying. Okay, so anyway, Transformers 5, that's a hell of a thing to go on our show. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Did you read this at all? I or, did. Or watch the video? I, I ran through it really quick before we started the show. Oh and my what god. what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I think we got a Transformer. Yeah. With, so, with King Arthur's sword. Yeah. Um, it, He's not... That's, that's a thing. Like... Apparently. You know, I don't want to talk a lot about this. I just want to say that what Matt just said... Makes sense in context of this article, and you should go check it out. Uh, yeah, just um, what the fuck? I mean, like, there's so many things that are well, just. So no, we've got Arthurian legend. That's my entire thought process. What the being fuck? integrated into the into the universe, um, and we've also got some. Uh, and apparently, this is a big deal. We've got some British Transformers. Whoa! Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> who knew up until this point, uh, aliens weren't based entirely in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, that's enough about that. Yeah. Um, lastly, um, before we head into our probably longest section um, of comic books, uh, I'm just going to talk real briefly. Um, my wife and I actually watched Birdman, um, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, if you will, uh, starring Michael Keaton and uh, Ed Norton and Emma Stone, as well as Zach Galifianakis. Galifianakis? Something. He doesn't even know how it's pronounced. No, it's he fine. doesn't. What's weird about this movie, um, without revealing any, any plot points, because Eddie hasn't seen it yet, and I... I, I, I and I do want to. So. We spoil things for everybody. I'm not going to spoil things for him, because I'm not a dick. Because I can throw shit at him. Um, I've got a gun. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, yeah, we did talk about that. Um, Go on. <laughs> Wreck the movie, it's fine. No, Zach Galifianakis is uh, the straight man in this movie, mostly odd yeah okay um so here's the thing this movie is not an action movie it is not a comic book movie it is uh, tangentially related as i understand it but i haven't seen the movie so no so the the basic plot is michael keaton plays an aging actor who played a character um, called birdman in three films i believe and (laughs) okay he's he's basically trying to revitalize his career by taking a well-known author and um expanding it his work to broadway okay so he's got the theater on broadway and he's developing the play and all that kind of stuff so are you sure this isn't just like a biography yeah all right yeah no when you watch the movie you'll understand um ed norton plays uh a supporting role in it but ed norton is not i mean the the two of them honestly the the performance they gave should be co-leads not necessarily a lead and a and a supporting but i mean that's not the way the academy works so that's how yeah. things go um Emma Stone plays Michael Keaton's daughter in the movie and she's she's pretty terrific in it Emma Stone you had like you had me right there dude this is not Emma Stone like you've seen her before though i promise well like she's still going to be super hot right she is but she's super thin like former oh. like addict kind of thin, uh, okay like, but does like a Christian really Bale machinist then? Yeah, kind of. Wow. Yeah. Creepy. Um, All right. So, if you like movies where you can see an actor really fucking act, this movie is right up your alley. 
if you're watching this movie because you think something like fantastic is going to happen, like as, as in terms of like a sci-fi movie or a comic book or special effect kind of a thing, just don't. Yeah, it's definitely not like a uh, Marvel movie. No, uh, but if or you, even a DC movie. But if you want to watch a movie that that showcases what actors can do given the time to actually really act, then then definitely do it. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I believe my wife enjoyed it. I I kind of apologized for making her watch it at first, and then she was like, "No, I I, I didn't actually hate that movie." Uh, so Which, that's high praise coming from Casey. Yeah. Um, and it was it was directed. If, if you any of you any of you saw The Revenant um, earlier this year, um, starring. Uh, DiCaprio. This movie was directed by the same director, which is Alejandro uh, Inarritu. I mean, they'll make fun like show clips later. Uh, so anyway, Birdman. It turns out I want to watch, and I should still want to watch it. Do it. it seems yeah. to be the consensus. Yeah. I mean, again, Clerks, one of my all-time favorite movies. It was a movie with actors acting. Not all the actors were great in that film, but like the dialogue specifically is important to no, it's it. Kept. Which is the I mean, same with with Birdman. That that I mean that's that's really cool actually because those those actually tend to be really good movies and although I do love the big spectacles of superhero movies and stuff like that like I also really enjoy those small you know set pieces um, that you know they really get a, sh- a chance to showcase all that dialogue and all that stuff so yeah all right let's talk comics because I'm way better at that let's do it um so I kind of ordered this we're gonna talk about the rebirth titles last I think um cool. Let's talk about Civil War first. Yeah, let's, let's just because everything else we have on the list is DC this month or this week. So, yeah, Civil War is kind of taking center stage in the Marvel universe, and I think rightly so. I I it's really doing well. I liked it. Yeah. So, um, I think at the last time we had talked about Civil War, we'd only read the number zero, and this time we yeah. both read number one and two. Yes. Okay. I've so, actually also read the uh, Civil War Gods. I did not get that far. And Amazing Spider-Man. I definitely did not get that far. And X-Men. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of tie-ins that apparently that I'm way behind on. Um, so, okay, there's a Ulysses tie-in that's part of the Infinite series. Okay. Don't... I mean, it's like 60 pages, but it's like... It's one of those made-for-digital comics, so when you flip through, like... They add, like, a word bubble. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, And it's it's not... It's all right. I mean, it, it tells a decent story, but it's just... I hate that format, so it bothers gotcha. me. Um, I read Spider-Man and X-Men. They both tie in really well to the story. I mean, these are for the Civil War story. They're not issues of an ongoing series that are tie-ins to it. They're just... It's like yeah. Civil War 2, X-Men number one, Civil War 2, Amazing Spider-Man number one. I read both those. I recommend it. Um, I won't I won't go to details on those because Eddie hasn't read them, but if... I totally will. Um, in fact, that's complete oversight by my part because... Uh... First off, I really like Civil War so far, uh, and I had reticence going into this because uh, Civil War is probably one of the bigger stories in the Marvel Universe. And well done, the and, original. And well done. So setting that bar uh, um, is pretty hard to do again. Uh, you know, like, you know, equally in my mind, a big story in the DC Universe would be The Dark Knight, and or rather The Dark Knight Returns. And uh, I didn't really so much like the second one. I didn't. So, Dog um, shit. Dog I'll, shit is actually what I'll say about The Dark Knight Strikes again yeah but i did i am Fuck. enjoying uh the dark knight 3 so um you can tell a sequel well uh but going into civil war 2 i didn't really have super high hopes um but i'm really enjoying it so far i read you know like i said only number one and number two um, um but it's good 
so number two is okay so the premise of civil war two is there is an inhuman that has precognition yeah um not only does he have precognition but he experiences like feels the emotions that come along with things too so it's kind of number one it's it's extremely devastating for him number two um it's one of those things where people like tony stark who are a very much scientific minds they're kind of like um is he doing this because this is what's actually going to happen is he influenced by personal prejudices of any kind bias whatever this thing right here is my criticism because what it is is minority report go watch that movie You've got essentially the setup for Civil War Two. Kind of, don't they bring? Don't they? Don't they call back to Minority Report? Like in the actual comic, don't they mention it at some point? It seems like if they didn't, that maybe would be it was a massive X-Men oversight. One. I, 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 I want to say I want to say they actually like called attention to that particular movie yeah. in something. But um, so on the one side, you've got essentially uh, Captain Marvel saying, you know, like we you we know, need to use him to stop crime before it happens yeah and then you've got tony stark weirdly enough because this is not the role he's played in in the previous civil war incarnation but he's like uh no because maybe this isn't what's going to happen maybe this is only happening because he says it's going to happen and then we do stuff that makes it happen or whatever yeah Um, i have a thought about that we'll come back to at the end of uh, issue two yeah um so captain marvel kind of doesn't listen and then um the the long story the long the long of it is is that uh roadie aka war machine ends up getting killed yeah um so the, trying the, to stop something that ulysses thinks is happening use the, the precog ulysses is the uh is the inhuman yeah yeah um and she hulk is like on Wrecked. death's door like, yeah very much so so um and that's essentially the thing before they go on this mission uh Tony's like basically like well can we really trust that like is that really a thing or is it a thing because we make it happen and all the various you know it is actually kind of an interesting viewpoint like the 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 science behind it like there's a lot of reasons like he could be seeing the things he's seeing like uh, one of the main plot points in issue number two is Tony basically kidnaps Ulysses and uh, starts checking him out like is your brain actually experiencing (laughs) these things tortures him a little bit just a tiny just, i mean just he tad. fucking flicks him like that thing was so overplayed but... no it was it was it was he tortured me yeah no, he come flicked on. you stop being a bitch yeah. yeah like it wasn't like he got waterboarded and no. this was like a republican like uh no it's just waterboarding it's fine they live um it was like no he flicked you like the end <laughs> there was no torture yeah um what makes Rhodey's death even worse though in tony's eyes is that he's not even part of captain marvel's team no uh, they just called him in for support, but they didn't inform like any of the big guns. Like they didn't tell the Avengers proper about it. I don't think they even uh, in the comics. I don't think they even called him in for support. I think he happened to be in that um, area and kind of overheard plans. And he was like, "No, I'm gone." Yeah, it was something like that. But like yeah. he ended up not making it through, and and Tony's really, really fucking upset about it. Which I yeah. mean, understandably so, because him and Rhodey. The the one thing that they've done extremely well, like from the comic book pages to the silver screen, is that the relationship between Rhodey and Tony Stark is is rock solid. Like those yeah. two are friends, like more than their like teammates or anything else. Like they're 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 tight. They're friends. Yeah. So so they, um, you know, I actually 
I want to keep reading this book because I've chosen a side. Like, and it's funny because it's not the side I, I chose with the original Civil no, War. No, I'm totally Team Stark in this one. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, I'm reading this, and, and so especially as we get to the end of uh, uh, Civil War Issue 2, um, Ulysses has a vision that uh, um, the Hulk is basically tearing apart the Avengers and yeah. the whole team, everybody, not just the Avengers because we've got multiple teams involved here, but the Avengers, the Inhumans, etc. Yeah. Um, and I, I love how this issue ends because he's just like, I'm sorry, but the Hulk kills you all. Yeah. Like, and the next issue or, or the next panel is something like Captain Marvel tapping Bruce Banner on the shoulder. Okay. Yeah. So back up for a second. Um, when I go back and look at those panels, I don't necessarily see the death of the team. Like I see an Iron Man suit being ripped in half. Right. I don't necessarily see Tony Stark dying. So here's it could be th- house party protocol. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah. So the thing is, like, um, it drives me a little nuts. And the thing that makes me totally Team Stark is the future is not predetermined. And they demonstrate this in the very first fucking issue of the book because the first fucking issue has them going and fighting this. Um, who is it? Do you remember? No, it's just some weird random thing. Yeah, big bad interdimensional interdimensional bad yeah. guy. Um, and they win, and the the idea is they win because you know they had the um you know precogs Ulysses's uh Ulysses's Ulysses's yeah they had that guy's foreknowledge of what the future was going to turn out to be, but that's a paradox. If they had that guy's foreknowledge of what the future was going to be, it wouldn't matter, and the future would continue to be even if they had his foreknowledge. And so them seeing that they have this foreknowledge of the Hulk uh, killing them all uh, in itself offers them the opportunity to change that future or even create that future. Like that's the big thing that I saw there is like maybe they lock fucking Bruce Banner in the box, which is a great idea because he's a quote unquote threat. And then he hulks out and then he goes to fighting them. Here's the thing. Banner's not even the Hulk right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. The Hulk is, um, Amadeus Cho is, is the Hulk right now. Okay. Um, he's super genius and he somehow was able to manipulate gamma radiation in order to take the Hulk from Bruce Banner. So Bruce Banner can be like a normal scientist and whatnot. Um, Amadeus Cho was able to create a device that when he hulks out, like he still is coherent and intelligent and whatnot. Okay. That's fine. They they portrayed various. He is of that he is what's known as the, the Banner Hulk. Totally awesome Hulk. Okay. And he took the role upon himself because basically what he wanted was to be able to create an environment where uh, Bruce Banner was not feared and hated for what he was, and that the Hulk was not something that people were just like, well, that guy's fucked up and he could kill us at any point in time. Like he wanted to create an environment and and a situation where the outside world at large was like, hey, you know what, the Hulk, he's a big powerful dude, but he's on our side. He's okay. cool. And um, so by Ulysses having this vision of like the Hulk killing everybody and whatnot, or what he thinks is the Hulk killing everybody, uh, it's obviously there's something changing in the Hulk verse right now. And and I don't know if we have to read the Incredible Hulk comic books either to, to get in, into uh, what's going on. Uh, but I might check a couple of them out as they tie into it because I kind of want to see where they're leading up with this. Yeah, I'm sure there will be tie-ins for this. But anyway, the whole idea, like, I'm just so very Team Stark on this because, uh, you know, any sort of precog, predestination, like we've, like, like I said, we've seen Minority Report. It doesn't necessarily work out like that. Um, Not secondarily, seen Minority Report. <laughs> maybe they should. I, I, I think if more people had, it might have done better. Yeah. 
Um, maybe they should though, because like it, it sort of you know paints an obvious loophole with this whole um, you know Captain Marvel's team uh, uh, being so for Ulysses and you know using his abilities and blah blah blah. I mean, like I get that temptation, but you can't always know, and so you have to be very careful in your decision making process with that because it's entirely possible, like I said, that they create this situation. I'm, I'm kind of a tweener in this. Like I said, I was totally Stark earlier, but that's because I'm I'm I. I I am completely on board with the caution that he approach that he takes when he approaches Ulysses and whatnot. Yeah, I'm kind of of the of the opinion that you could actually use Ulysses like in a good way, and I don't mean like just use him and throw him away. No, I just I just mean like, oh, he could be a valuable member of the could team, be like a total asset because you could be like, okay, so he there's precognition, he sees something that's happening, and you dispatch a group of Avengers or whatever team that you're putting together. Uh, to investigate, not to go in with guns blazing, but at least to approach the situation with an open mind and be like, okay, this is one thing that could possibly happen. Yeah. And and you, you deal with it from there. Um, but you don't go kill Bruce Banner because you think the Hulk's going to annihilate the world or yeah, whatever that's else. Yeah, insanity. Um, so, and that's kind of why I say, you know, like Team Stark, because Team Tony, you know, especially given that he's in the grips of grief, like totally comes across to me as being like the more level headed of the two groups. So, uh, Civil War two, check it out. It, we're not that far in. Um, yeah, no, you can totally still catch up if you haven't read it. You're probably only three issues behind me. So do it. Yeah. Um, if you can't find, uh, print copies available in the store, I'm sure you can buy it digitally. Through oh, Marvel? Yeah, so. everything. You can buy everything digitally these days. Yeah. Or acquire it in other methods. No, we don't do that here. No, that would be wrong. Um, So let's talk Dark Knight Returns Last Crusade before we jump. Because everything else we have is rebirth-oriented. So, Yeah. I'm having a hard time talking about this particular title without totally giving away the whole thing. Uh, well, we spoil shit on the show all the time. Like, yeah. Okay, so we're going to spoil The Dark Knight Returns, The Last Crusade, uh, definitely by the end of this conversation, if nothing else. So this story follows um, uh, Bruce Wayne, you know, playing the part of Batman. And uh, So let's let's preface this. So this, is, this story is set in the Frank Miller Dark Knight universe, but it is pre-Dark Knight Returns. So right. Bruce Wayne has not aged to the point where he is given up the 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 mantle of the bat all that good he's, stuff he's getting old i mean he's starting to feel his he's age a little bit he's getting there he's not old old like in, we see in the dark knight returns but he's starting to feel his age a little bit for sure but we still have jason todd we as do robin jason todd is our robin in this series um or this this book rather i should say this is this is a one shot so yeah i think it's 68 pages somewhere on there yeah it's longish. It's a longish book for a single issue, but it is um, you well, can accomplish well it, worth it pretty quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. I actually read it super quick, like way quicker than I thought I was going to for a book this size. Because usually these books take me a while to get through, and this one absolutely didn't. Yeah. So it's it. First off, uh, I like the book. Like it was a very yeah. good story, um, and I think Matt agrees. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, and it is a really good story, especially if you're a Jason Todd fan, because this, is, this nails Jason Todd. The, and and this is going to sound funny when I say it. This is the best Batman versus Joker book that we've seen, where Batman and the Joker have zero contact throughout the duration of the book. Oh, it is at all. Like so, they just don't have any. Yeah, and it's almost magical in that respect. It's like uh, you, you see in the Fifth Element, right? You like that book? Bruce Willis and Zorg never even meet. 
Right. Yeah. It's like that. It's like that in its brilliance. And even maybe a little bit more so because uh, uh, with uh, Bruce and Zorg, um, I can't even remember his real name in the movie. But with well, it's Bruce Commissioner and- Gordon. Yeah. With Bruce and Zorg. Gary Oldman. You never even... Um, you don't have the backstory. You don't have all the idea that goes behind, no. uh, um, you know, say something like Batman and Joker. So there's such a, uh, I don't know, amazing, you know, interplay between that idea of uh, never having the two meet, but having the two clearly be each other's foils. The the way this book is written is brilliant because it is shot like a movie in that we open the book with the Joker being brought into Arkham Asylum. Yeah, by Bruce and uh, Jason. And, uh, but we don't even see them in this. Like, we only see the guards taking them yeah. in, or taking him in. Uh, and then we're we're following Batman with uh, kind of a different thing. Like, he, he wants to track down, like, the... There, there's two stories going on. There's a Bruce Wayne side of it, and there's a Batman side of it. Batman wants to catch up with the Joker's gang because they didn't get the gang. They only got Joker when they took him in the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's another side of it, which is uh, a socialite couple that Bruce knows um, is being brought down. Like there's there's some shit going on, and the husband I think kills himself. Yeah, or or something. Yeah, and, and uh, the wife is basically left penniless because yeah, because he had made some bad investments prior to. Yeah, Bruce decides he's going to investigate this situation as Batman. Yeah, in addition to you know maybe tracking down the rest of the Joker's. Um, the Joker's gang is kind of cool because it showcases what Jason Todd can really do in the field yeah, of battle. It it that and how impressed really awesome. Bruce really is with with Jason's development as a fighter and everything else. Um. And then you have the socialite aspect of it, which is uh, definitely showcasing Bruce Wayne slash Batman's detective skills in tracking down things. Um, and Jason has a part in that, too. That's kind of the thing is is Jason is not the tactical mind that Bruce is necessarily. Um, but as Bruce will admit throughout the duration of this book, he, for his age, is way more advanced as as a fighter. Yeah. Um, so first off, I love this story because... Um... It does so much, you know, interesting things with Jason Todd as a character. Um, so it really does talk about how Bruce almost admires, like I would almost say, admires Jason yeah. as a as a fighter and a combatant. Um, and it sort of highlights uh, Jason's uh, brashness and you know, sort of, um, you know, like Bruce. I think this is practically a line in the book, but Bruce is basically saying like, "I never enjoyed the fight like he does." Like Jason, like revels in the the brutality of things not even necessarily brutality but just in beating the shit out of guys who get their kicks in doing wrong yeah that that's that's my take on it and that might be naive of me or whatever but i don't think jason necessarily was so much about the fight and even though it says it specifically in the book like i don't think he was about the fight as he was in about being right which is where he and bruce are 100 percent aligned jason's just a little bit more willing to go the extra mile to be right. See, okay, so there's a couple of things in there. Like, um, it, it wasn't even to me, like, so much about uh, Jason getting a kick out of beating guys who are bad guys, but so much as he was, like, just unrepentant rage. Like, 
Jason is rage defined, like sort of in a controlled manner, though, because obviously you can't do what um, he does in the book if you're just, you know, unbridled rage as a human. I mean, he's very cold, calculated, destructive rage. Um, He just does not have a filter the way that, you know, say Bruce does. Like uh, if it were up to um, say, uh, you know, Bruce versus the Joker, Bruce isn't going to kill the Joker. There's not really any situations, you know, barring a couple of, you know, novels where Bruce kills the Joker. And even then it's arguable. Uh, super looking forward to killing joke, by the way. Um, but there's not really any situation where Bruce would kill the Joker. I don't think that's true with Jason. I think Jason, given the chance, he would beat the fucking shit out of the Joker and he would totally kill him. Leave him for dead or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I think this book highlights. And maybe Jason, maybe that's not fair. Maybe Jason doesn't kill the Joker, but he would be much more likely, like you said, to leave him for dead or, you know, leave him in a situation where he is, you know, for all intents and purposes, dead. So let's talk about Robin uh, for the uninitiated out there. Uh, There's been a total of four Robins in normal continuity. Yeah. Um, there was Dick Grayson. Yep. Uh, Dick the Grayson. Robin for most The people. original Robin. He, uh, he became Robin after his parents were killed in a, in a, uh, circus accident, uh, which was orchestrated by a gangster named Tony Zuko. Uh, Bruce took him in as an orphan, uh, and, uh, and basically brought him into the fold yeah. pretty quickly in, in, in terms of how things work. New 52 continuity has kind of changed that a little bit, and they made it to where Dick kind of had to be a detective to figure out who Bruce was. Um, but in the original continuity, that wasn't the case. And I think we're kind of heading back to that direction anyway, so we might as well just talk about that piece of it. Um, but Dick didn't have a chip on his shoulder. Other than that his parents died, similar to, to Bruce's parents dying in front of him, that was kind of the only thing it was that drove him. He had the same... Uh, drive to be a, uh, a vigilante that Batman had, which made him kind of a, a good analog to Batman. Yeah, but see, the thing about Dick Grayson, and especially Nightwing, is that I think he moves past that at he some does. point. He does. Nightwing def- definitely Batman moves, never moves beyond past that, and is able to come to grips with his parents dying, and he's like, you know what, I can have a normal life. I can do the vigilante thing, but I can have a normal life and be happy at the same time. Yeah. That's kind of, Dick in that manner is better than Bruce ever will be, just because of that. Yeah. Uh, Nightwing is I don't want to say this isn't entirely fair but Nightwing is a job uh, for for Bruce Batman is who he is period right Um, so following Dick's graduation from being Robin to being Nightwing uh, we get Jason Todd Jason Todd actually was found trying to break into the Batmobile yeah essentially Um, he was not a I don't want to say he's a bad kid but he he was a kid that he was a street kid. I mean, he was stealing for a living, doing whatever he could to survive and things like things like that. He's got a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder than definitely than Dick did. Um, but Bruce saw something in him that uh, he turned out being right. Now, in, in normal continuity, uh, we as a comic book audience actually killed him. Yeah, uh, there was, we talked about this on the show before, but we should tell it again. Yeah, there was there was a, a period of time in the in the eighties, I believe it was, that uh, DC Comics basically put it to a vote, and he was like, "If you want Robin to die, just vote." Yeah. And that's what the audience voted for, and the Joker ended up killing him in in a, in a very well known storyline, um, which was Death in the Family, and it was brutal. Um, and we've already talked about this. I mean, this comes up in the show all the time. We've talked about this in relation to Batman versus Superman and the whole, uh, what, um, 
I was going to say Matt Damon, but Ben Affleck's uh, Batman universe might look like. And one of the prevailing theories we've had is that uh, Jason Todd dies in that universe. Um, you know, it's come up in the mythos quite a lot. It's definitely present in The Dark Knight Returns. It seems like that's one of the things that causes him to give up the cowl at the beginning of The Dark, Dark Knight Returns. But, you know, we don't know for sure. And I, I think we might get a little bit more uh, on that in the Suicide Squad movie that comes out cinematically anyway as far uh, as that goes i we kind of i think we have to if yeah. and if we don't i'll be a little sad yeah um, um under the red hood too you know goes really in depth yeah. uh into the jason todd story um and you know it's very accessible i think under the red hood the animated film is on netflix and it's super good there yeah. there are some scenes in there that are like literally some of my favorite uh batman scenes ever you know i know dark knight christian bale the joker uh still you should see under the red head yeah so following the death of jason todd we get tim drake tim drake is actually um he works for the waynes or bruce wayne um in some capacity they live in close proximity uh to the waynes and tim drake is the first robin that we get um in in regular continuity that is able to deduce for himself that Bruce Wayne is in fact Batman, um, which is also the Tim Drake we get in a Titans Rebirth. Yes, which we'll talk the, about in the a Tim moment. Drake that we get in not only that but in Detective as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bruce makes comments about how Tim Drake, out of the, out of all the Robins, he is the best tactical mind of any of the Robins that that he's worked with. Um, and here's the thing: he's not a shabby fighter either. Like he's good. We we get to see Tim Drake actually. He uses the cane, the pole, uh, or bow staff kind of thing, um, a lot more than previous incarnations. I think that was a, a Tim Drake yeah. introduction to the Robin. I think those. Tim Tim is actually probably one of the more centered of the Robins. Tim's like, my favorite. He honestly is because, and not only that, but like he's the Robin through like the eighties or like through the late eighties to nineties that I grew up with. Like that's the Robin that I knew. Honestly, I have a. I have difficulty thinking of Dick Grayson as anything other than Nightwing anymore. Um, so Tim Drake, I think, is the Robin that I, I'd go to as like that's the that's who should be the successor. That like, would that would make Dick Grayson very very happy knowing yeah. that that he's graduated from beyond the shadow of the bat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like legit, like I think, um, and and maybe that's because in the common continuity, he's been Nightwing for quite a long time. Yeah, you know, like I'm not sure, but I think he's probably been Nightwing for longer than Since he's been Robin. Seventies, I think, in in like in our time. Yeah, so um, he was part of the original Teen Titans. But yeah, Tim Drake, Tim, Tim Drake, you know, especially after Jason, Jason's a little off kilter. Tim, I think, is a little bit more centered. And then of course, you know, in the recent incarnations, we've got Damien as uh. you know today's robin robin and don't get me wrong damien is a super interesting character but he's definitely a little crazy damien uh if you're familiar with ra's al ghul uh damien is is ra's al ghul's grandson uh talia's son that was sired by bruce yeah um and this makes the interesting aspect of this particular Robin is Damien was raised by the League of Shadows or League of Assassins, if you will, uh, to kill. Yeah. Trained personally by his mother, Talia al Ghul, one of the most lethal assassins known in the DC universe. Like, there's 
There's yeah, like, not really any assassins that are better than her. Ross Al Ghul and uh, Talia Al Ghul um, are probably two of Bruce's, you know, deadliest foes, and that's saying something because Bruce has a lot of deadly foes. And, and Talia's not always been a foe, which is why we get Damien in the yeah. first place. And that's, yeah, that's for sure. Um, and this is not the Talia that you see in the Dark Knight Rises. No, not at all. Um, in fact, forget that Talia because it's it's completely different in the comic universe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Damien, to his credit, though, like, so the the interesting aspect of Damien is he's got a lot of the same aspects as Jason Todd does in this particular Dark Knight, uh, the Last Crusade book that we're we're talking about. Yeah, he kind of revels in the action, revels in in the kill, so to speak, with without there actually being killing because Bruce won't allow it. Um, I mean, he tries to rein it in. I think there's a few occasions, but yeah. the interesting thing with Damien is that Damien, as much as he was trained to be an assassin, he wants nothing more than his own father's approval. He does. That's and that's so interesting to me. And maybe that's because of the whole, um, like, goddamn, Damien's got a lot of therapy coming. Yeah. Um, you know, being raised by Ra's al Ghul, I think one of the big things that Ra's instilled in him was this need for approval, and uh, so. Now that he's, you know, gone to live with Bruce and done that whole thing, he's looking for Bruce's approval. Um, and I can't wait to see how that shapes up over the long term. Like, right now, Damien's perpetually been kind of a 13-year-old boy. Yeah, 12, 13, somewhere around there. He's yeah. pretty young. But I hope they age that character and they mess with that a little bit because there's a lot of interesting stories to be told in that that scope. Um, and, and, you know, Damien does grow. I mean, he does, you know, continually grow a little bit um, through his run so far. Uh, but I can't wait to see what they do with him as he grows more because there's so much that they could do yeah. um, there. But, yeah, yeah he, he does play a pretty good analog to Jason because Jason and Damien both, like, when I, th- I think of those two similarly because they're both brutal. Like, uh, they're both fucked up in their own way and, and a little bit different from um, uh, the way that Bruce wants things done. Because, first off, depending on which incarnation you read of Batman, um, Bruce can be pretty fucking brutal himself. Um, but in especially when they're paired with Jason or Damien, it's usually him trying to rein those two in, which goes to say something. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so th- this story... Um, Man, I don't know how much we can talk about. It. It's basically a lead into the death in the family, like sort of. But I don't think the the, the Frank Miller universe kind of follows that that aspect of it because not obviously exactly. The, the but, events following are draft. Excuse me, different. Yeah, but you don't. Okay, so now we're getting heavy spoiler territory. So if you want to read this book, you should stop right now. I'm going to give you like two seconds to stop. Okay, uh, here's where you should have stopped. So do, you don't think that last panel is leading into um, the crowbar scene? Um, that's the thing is I don't know. Uh, obviously, I think it was meant to kind of lead us in that direction. But the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns universe has been quintessentially a universe that's different than than the batman that we know and and appreciate on a regular basis do i think that he's going to kill robin a hundred percent but did we actually see it in the pages no and that's why i think the brilliance of this book comes in because it's just like oh see jason jason thought he was getting the drop on the joker but really the joker kind of was expecting it all along now i'll go i'll go even further so this is what i liked about this book this wasn't the the him uh 
the Joker practically masterminded this whole thing. Oh, like yeah. I think this is definitely the Joker bringing Jason Todd to the to his you know control essentially. And yeah, no question, Jason dies. Like it's not shown in the book, but no question, it's continuing that story. So I liked this. I really liked this book from that that standpoint of things. It was sort of like amazingly, and this is gonna sound bad, but amazingly well done fan fiction. Like. It was an amazing telling of how we get to the events and death in the family. And I really, really liked it for that aspect alone. But yeah, no question at the end of the book to me, uh, Jason dies. And that's what this book leads up to, essentially. And uh, it, it, he, what I uh, else I liked about this book is it gives you even more empathy for the characters involved. Like, um, this is a big story and you already probably have a lot of empathy for the characters. But to me, this whole book was basically telling you a story so you'd feel even worse when that happens. Bruce is a hard character to have envy for because he's so brooding and so dark. And you kind of get, like, the my parents died so I'm a, I'm a vigilante story gets really stale after a while ask anybody that's ever written for arrow yeah for sure um but this book is written in a way that actually really makes you feel sorry for bruce because he just doesn't see this coming no that and that's actually one of the harder parts of it too is like um bruce is very like man you know like maybe we gotta like uh, the whole book is kind of a struggle for bruce because he knows he's getting old to the point like where he probably shouldn't be doing this for much longer. He's but talking he about successors. Quite feel like Jason is is ready to succeed him yet. And Alfred on the other hand is just like, "No, this kid pretty much is you. Like, I don't see any problem with you walking away right now and letting him do this." Yeah. Um and then Jason going out and trying to do it on his own and bad shit happens. So, yeah. obviously, um if this book were to continue, which as far as I know it doesn't, yeah. Um, and that's what that as is the nature with one shots is uh you don't really know what happens after this but if we read the original dark knight uh returns by frank miller then you kind of get that he kind of hung it up yeah because immediately following this is something similar to the keen act of watchmen where like vigilantes are kind of outlawed yeah unless you're superman and you work for the government yeah. So, so anyway, um, check it out. Dark Knight Returns, Last Crusade. Uh, man, we I think I could probably talk about this for another ten or fifteen minutes, but I I won't. But we have a shit ton. Yeah, of we still do. Stuff we haven't about. even hit Rebirth yet. <laughs> um, which guys, Rebirth going pretty goddamn strong. So yeah. first um, off, Matt, talk about Justice League Fifty One. Actually, I'm going to talk about Green Lanterns first. Okay, fine, do that. Because what I did is I kind of ordered these in the order that I, um, from from like least to to best you know what i mean okay um and honestly green lanterns is one of the ones that I, this is the first That's one I'm talking about. i would have done that too except for i didn't read justice league 51 um i i see i'm a huge lantern fan but these books i'm a huge lantern fan and that i want to see lanterns uh that i know and love like hal jordan like specifically um we talked about green lanterns rebirth and essentially the um the you know, sum of it is is we get Baz and we get is it Jessica? Yeah, Jessica, I think. Something. Drew? No, no. That's Spider Man, no. Spider Woman. Just uh Cruz? She's Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um anyway, so we get these two, they're both lanterns, and essentially Hal like melds their batteries together. He's like, here you guys have to work together. And this is just an extension of that story. 
um, having to do with the the Red Lanterns as well. I don't and, think I read this yet. And some rage stuff. It's it's all right, um, but it's it's not. I, I I will read this book because it is Green Lantern. But the book that I'm looking forward to is Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps Rebirth, and then that series that's ongoing that I'm already subscribed to at my local shop. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's fair. Um, so, um, it, it's all right. I mean, if you're a Green Lantern fan, you'll probably dig it. It's it's okay. It's not groundbreaking. It's not it's not going to be the universe ending or or universe fixing book that you're looking for. Um, the next book on our, on our list is Justice League Fifty One, and you didn't read this. No, I think you told me I needed to read this, but I didn't. Uh, um, by that point, it was too late to get it before the show. So. It's it's semi relevant to where we go with rebirth, uh, with Batman number one and uh, yeah, and Titans as well. But uh, so basically, this this comes off the heels of of the the big climatic battle uh, for the for the world, and uh, we have the Justice League. Only Batman shows up with somebody who he usually doesn't show up with, and uh, he shows up with. Uh, Robin. Okay. And this Robin is Dick Grayson cuz which which actually is the first time that I've actually looked at the Justice League comic book and been like, "Okay, this series is actually set pre the rest of the comic books that we're reading events." Um this has always bothered me because it always shows Hal Jordan with the Green Lantern uh from the Green Lantern Corps with the Justice League and I know that Hal Jordan is not on world. He's, he's off world doing other things and stuff like that. So the continuity kind of has always bothered me with that. Yeah. Um, and this is the first one that's always been like, okay, this is, this is actually these justice league books have kind of been a prequel to the rest of the DC universe at this point. Um, and the important piece of it is, is that it's, it's Dick Grayson as Robin, not in the, in the booties in the, in the shorts, but he's actually wearing like a, a, a more Tim Drake style Robin costume as well i was gonna say i really didn't like those early ones but like i really like damien's costume damien and tim drake's costume are my favorite tim drake's probably my favorite robin costume yeah um but anyway this is kind of robin's feeling really insecure about himself being brought into the situation with the justice league because these are the heavy hitters these are the big guns and uh kind of the the long story short is he proves himself to the rest of the team that he's a valuable asset because when he first got there they're like hey why'd you bring the kid kind of a thing um he ends up proving himself and cyborg is kind of mentoring him through the issue which is which is kind of cool because cyborg being the the younger of the the group anyway as well he's kind of like hey man this is how i felt when i was here the feeling of like fighting a world ending crisis is like that never goes away but it's just what you do like it it goes from being like oh my god this is the craziest thing i've ever done to being this is tuesday yeah you know see now i'm I'm probably going to have to go check this out. Um, DC actually released it in Warner Brothers, I should say, released an animated movie recently called uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans, which I really liked. And it f- sort of focuses around uh, Damien's Robin. Uh, and there's a lot of similar things in play with that movie. So, um, yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much right now, but well, uh, you should check it out. The The thing about this one is how this book ends is basically Robin talking to Batman and, and he's like, so this is like this a lot. And Batman is like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. And and he's like, and you brought me in to show me that I can be a valuable member of the team someday. And Batman is like, no, 
I brought you in because I expect you to lead them someday. Wow. And that to me, like just that whole thing and obviously spoilers, but you know what I mean? Like that, that line itself is just like, holy shit. Like this is what rebirth wants to do at some point. You know what I mean? Like, see, and that's, that's, what's awesome about, um, it's so easy. Like if you only have a little bit of knowledge about the justice league in general, and you look at Batman compared to, you know, what are essentially gods? I mean, just straight up gods. Um, it's hard to justify his position in the league. And then, you know, when you look at what Batman really brings to the team, uh, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, Um, you get the, the, to your point. Yes. Batman, he doesn't have superpowers. No, he's a dude. He's a a really fucking smart dude. His his superpower is being 1%, you know, being 1%. Um, but like, Ultimately, and what he's telling Dick Grayson is like, you don't have superpowers either, but you're going to be their leader someday. Right. Like, they're going to look to you for guidance. Right. So. These these gods among men, you know, like Superman, uh, uh, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, etc. Which is kind of ballsy, because Batman himself doesn't, like, lead the Justice League. <laughs> like, he's he's a valued member, and, like... But, I mean, you, when you think about it, like, you think about there's the Justice League, which you got Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman, yeah. and then Cyborg. Those are kind of like your your core the members. The core group, yeah. And Cyborg is arguable because he's a Teen Titan. He's he's very new to the right. Justice League, yeah. Um, but then when you think about the, the hierarchy of that team, like, you've got the Trinity, obviously, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and... So while Batman is definitely a member of the Trinity, like there isn't one amongst those that is necessarily the leader of that team. So for Batman to be like, no, here's the deal. Like, I don't want you to be a member of the Justice League. I want you to lead it. See, but I'd argue like I could see like it's just the Trinity. I think Batman's calling the shots. I don't disagree. I don't think either, I don't think either of the other two of them would be like, oh, yeah, Batman's in charge of us. But I think shit goes down. Everything goes sideways. Batman's the one who's calling the shots. And that's kind of not necessarily a, 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 a that's not necessarily speaking to his leadership skills. That's speaking to his uh manipulation abilities it's, more than anything, really. Because he he can. Like that's the thing, is Batman is the kind of guy that can be like, uh, okay, A goes to B, B goes to C, but then D deviates and goes to F, and I need to convince the team that this goes from A to F so we can head it off of the pass. And he's like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get them on that it's page. It's both. Like, um, first off, uh, uh, I don't think you justify Batman being on the league without justifying the fact that he is the ultimate tactician. Um, so number one is you have to accept the fact that Batman is the ultimate tactician and then B, the reason why he would end up being the guy that they go to is because of exactly those things. They may not want to go to him. They may not think that's the best idea initially, but they end up doing it because Batman will engineer it in that manner for yeah. better or worse. There are certainly some stories where Batman uh, does just that and it goes wrong. But I think generally speaking, that's what's going to happen. Batman's going to be the guy who ends up calling the shots. Yeah. No, I agree. And otherwise, you know, I don't know why you have him on there. Like, he's got cool boomerangs, but um, when you compare to Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, etc., it doesn't make sense otherwise if you don't make him the ultimate tactician. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's talk the rest of the Rebirth titles. Sure. Um, so, we want to talk Batman first? 
Uh, yeah, Batman and Superman to me, one is not necessarily better than the other. This is just the way I put them in here on this one. Okay. Well, whichever one you want to talk first. Uh, let's let's do Batman because I think Batman is kind of one of those things. Um, this is our first Batman story post New Fifty Two, and uh, it's kind of a wild ride. I'll wait for Eddie to finish texting though before we go into it. I had to pick the right emoji. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about Batman. Uh, yeah. This is a. I like where this is going. Like this issue, not doesn't necessarily do a ton. No. Uh, but what it does, it does within the last five pages, and it does it really well. Yeah. Um. So there's a plane. Yeah. Um. And and some things blow up. A plane, as in like a seven forty seven. Yeah, but passenger airliner, exactly. Um, Batman's only recourse is to basically get himself into a position where he is on the plane. Now he's got, um, what's that kid's name? God damn. I don't remember it. <laughs> he's either. one of the new Robins. Like yeah, not keep talking and I'll figure it out. Um, but he basically is talking to Alfred and this kid and the kid's like, Hey, you want me to suit up and, and meet you there? And he's like, no, I want you to stay in the cave and I want you to guide me in. I need exact calculations so that I can get myself where I need to be. That's up to you. Go. And uh, so the kid is just like, okay, you need to be here, and then you need to be here, and you got approximately this much time to do it. Go. And yeah. Um, so Batman does it. And gets himself actually on the plane and uh, uses some uh, like almost Tony Stark repulsor type technology. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's but it's shit. He pulls off the Batmobile uh, and. Uh, to, to kind of steer the plane. I still haven't found the name of the Robin, but yes, that's all incredibly true. And the, the uh, man, I, I like this issue because it's Batman doing what Batman does. Like uh, he goes, he steers this plane. He, he's in an impossible situation for any normal human being. He totally completely accepts his death because that's the situation. Essentially Batman can steer this plane and not crash and kill everybody, but there's a very good chance that he'll die at the end as a near certain chance that he will die at the end. And that's what he does. That is what Bruce Wayne is. Um, and, uh, what makes this issue great really it shows you know who batman is um in this sort of fantastical circumstance and he's the guy who's going to fly the plane and kill himself um to save everybody else yeah um that's kind of the big moment in this is like alfred realizes that batman is in a situation that is not escapable and he's like but if you're on the plane then He's like, everybody in the plane is going to be okay, but if you're on the outside of the plane, like you're basically going to die. And Batman kind of asked the ultimate question of Alfred, and he's like, so you knew my parents. Uh, is this a good death? Would they would they be proud of me in this moment? God, that stung. Like, I read that, and I was like, oh. To I- me, it almost felt like a little too much for a relaunch, you know what I mean, of a, of a Batman title. Yeah, it was a little on the no- on the nose, but... Uh, I'll, I'll forgive it because that <coughs> sorry that is such um who bruce and what batman is like it, it's all about his parents you know all the live long day essentially um so that line had me you know like not quite tearing up but i was i read that and i stopped for a second 
before I continued the rest because it hit me pretty hard. Like that that isn't that is entirely what he's about. So Yeah. No, I, I would agree. Um uh, it, it 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 definitely was powerful. And to me it was it was nuts. Um but we don't end up having to answer that question. Nope. Uh because there's some new dudes that show up, a, a dude and a and a chick actually more specifically. Um and and he calls himself Gotham. Yeah. And he's essentially super powered. Like he basically catches the plane and stops it. Yeah. This is something he, akin to Batman the, this is my Clark. city and I'm Gotham. Yeah. Batman thinks it's Clark at first. And then he's like, wait, who the fuck are you? Yeah. So and then um, he's suspicious because that's what Batman does is be suspicious. And probably suspicious. with good reason. Cause I think this guy's probably no good. Yeah. He, he does seem shady as sh- shady as fuck. Like at this point uh, he seems shady as fuck. So, but very, very interesting way to start uh, Batman Rebirth. And I loved it. Like, it, it was a perfect tie-in, I think, to... Or, you know, a perfect bridge of continuity because it does um, capture pretty well what Batman is and then lead us into a whole new thing, so... Yeah. Um, so, if you're a Batman fan, this book definitely gives you the Batman comic book feel. Um, I, um so here's the thing. I, I really dug the Scott Snyder run from the New 52. Yeah, it was super. A lot. Um, but there was definitely something missing from that book in terms of the Batman that I'm used to. Um, like the... Because I started reading Batman during Nightfall, I think, probably actively reading a lot. Yeah. Um, and those books all definitely had a Batman feel to them. And the, the Snyder run kind of didn't have that same feel. It was They were well-written and, and definitely good books. A lot more solo adventures than uh, we're used to. But, so, again, as much as I love the Snyder run, and I did, I really, really, really did, because it gave us a new perspective on the bat that I don't think has been explored ever. Um, This book kind of makes us feel like we're getting more into traditional Batman stories that don't necessarily have to be world-ending for eight issues at a time. Um, or anything yeah, like that. That's actually and the thing I'm, that I'm looking I didn't forward to like... that a little bit. It's it, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a relaxed read for a while. I think it's definitely going to there's going to be some arcs and it's going to build up some big stuff. Um that you, you... but I think good storytelling is more important than whether or not the world is going to end. The, see, that's the thing. Like that's now that you said that, I realize that's not one of the things I liked about the Snyder run and uh, all that. Like the whole Bloom arc, like that was way too world ending. Like for me, like how does Batman come back from that sort of shit? Like that drove me a little nuts. So the thing about Scott Snyder's Batman run is that it, it is a little too big, I think, for uh, Batman Batman stories that I like. And don't get me wrong, Batman and the Justice League totally works, but Batman solo stories, I think, need to be a little bit more self-contained. So we had 50, was it 51 issues that Snyder did? 50. I think because 51 and 52 were... Were they different writers? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So we had 50 issues and we... We should we, go back and listen to our own show because we talked about this. I'm we pretty did. sure. But we essentially had The Court of Owls. Yeah. And that was huge. That was a multi-issue crossover. And it was good. Don't get me wrong. Was I like the, the Court of Owls. And then we moved into Death of the Family, which also was a multi-issue crossover thing. Yep. Um, kind of directly after that. Then we had some other stuff. We had a few issues that were kind of solos or not as big arcs and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. And then we moved to Endgame, which yep. was our second incarnation of the Joker within the New 52. And that led us into 
the final story arc, which went into Bloom, because Batman essentially died at the end of Endgame. Yep. Um, and Bloom took six or seven issues to get over with, I think. Uh, yeah, Somewhere that sounds there. right, at least, yeah. because um, we we sort of got the whole um, Gordon Bat in, in the midst of that, so. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we had a few huge story arcs that took fucking five years essentially to get through so that's almost like a year per story yeah something like that uh that's big i mean when you're talking comic books that's that's big um the thing about a comic book is is uh as much as there's kind of a beginning middle and end to each story um if you look at it as though it's a movie like comic books are kind of a never-ending second act yeah because you you've got to have something to to come back to the next time. So even if you end one particular story arc, there's something else that's left unfinished. There is well, in a lot of stories, yeah. Um, for the most part, there there are some you know clean cutoff points in in some stories where there's a clear third act. But um, most of the stories, you know, are just like you said, a, a very never ending second act. And so New Fifty Two, I think, felt a lot like that, like the whole yeah. time there was a never ending second act. So. Anyway, Batman number one, uh, I'm on board. Like, I, I am. I, I'm so far. I'm super, super enjoying Rebirth. I think this is going to be the whole show where I just gush about Rebirth because I liked all of these titles, dude. I, me too. And and the thing about the Batman one is, is like again, I I did love Scott Snyder's run. I did. And if it had kept going, I still would have read because it was they were good oh, yeah, books for sure. Year Zero, that was the other piece of it. Oh, I completely yeah. missed yeah, Year yeah, Zero, yeah. and that was huge. That was like six issues, I think, as well. So. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, what I'm looking forward to is being able to read Batman with a little bit more levity than I think I did during Snyder's run. Yeah. It got a little, um, new 50, it got a little DCU dark. It's kind of, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie and somebody's underwater and you're holding your breath the entire time that they're under there and you're like, Okay, they're above water now. I can breathe. Yeah, for a little while, a little bit. Um, which is not to say that I don't want to actually be underwater again at some point because I I love the Batman universe. And there needs to be a healthy balance. Like there needs to be some um you know mixing of the two. Right. So again, Batman number one. If you're a Bat fan, this is as good as time as any to get into it. So go do it. Yeah, it was super good. Um, Superman number one. Um, if you're a cat lover, maybe don't read this issue. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, do we need to say more about that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. No, it's um, good. Yeah. Um this is this is um, this is a good story because it's um, Clark Kent pre New Fifty Two Clark Kent that we knew and loved and wondered what happened to after the New Fifty Two kind of happened. Well, it turns out he's been around the whole time. Yep. Uh, with his wife Lois. And his, and his kid, son, Jonathan. Jonathan, yeah. Um, this is more of his family kind of trying to come to grips with the fact that he's once again Superman. And how do we find the balance with that? Especially with a kid who is also a super-powered being. Yeah, I actually like this because I think the way that you tell a good super Superman story is by relating him to the people around him. Like, Superman is nigh on and vulnerable. Like, you could throw the sun at him, and he'd still probably walk away. He'd actually um, be stronger. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so let's just say it's the moon instead. Either way, Superman gets up and he's fine at the end of the day. Um, in most stories, you know, like I know, you know, uh, one of the things that they're pointing out with this particular story and and uh, bringing back with uh, Rebirth is the whole death of Superman arc. But just generally speaking, Superman is basically invulnerable. So I think one of the things that makes the Superman story interesting is those you put around him. Because Superman is not... He's physically invulnerable, but not emotionally. So um, I think surrounding him by a family and giving him something to care about is um, the way that you tell an interesting Superman story. So on that part, I'm super excited to see this. Um... That and there's something just incredibly gratifying about seeing him decide to put back on the 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 tights and cape. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. <laughs> there we go. All right, that's our Superman talk for this <laughs> no. week. Um, <laughs> I the story is more about Jonathan than it is about Clark. Yeah. Uh, it takes place entirely on the farm. There's no new villains. Nothing happens. Um, other than uh they're what are they rebuilding a barn or something like that i don't remember yeah i think so and jonathan wants to help and he's like can we use our powers and clark's like yeah you just got to be careful about using your powers when it's not warranted because you don't want to be caught or whatever it it basically just it's not a good idea when you don't need to sort of thing yeah uh you cue the cat the family cat comes running through um, and he goes out into a field to chase some mice, presumably, or whatever. Um, and Jonathan sees him go out there, but then he also sees this hawk. Mm-hmm. And the hawk is definitely going to get the cat. And so Jonathan kind of freaks out and fries everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Jonathan's got the whole heat vision thing going on, and but he doesn't have the control of it and he fries the whole lot of it. Like and cat included. Yeah, this other neighbor girl sees this whole thing go down, and I don't. She probably has a name, but I don't remember what it is. Um, and uh, she sees that whole thing go down, and that that's really the basis of the issue, like how they deal with that whole thing and how um, that goes down. One of the fun things about this is that the neighbor girl totally hides the secret, which yeah. you'd think she'd freak the fuck out. Like if I saw you know some kid with laser eyes burn a hawk and a cat out of the sky like i'd probably flip out and at least tell my parents or somebody anybody but no nah, she's cool so she just goes over and visits and they become friends or whatever i know the one time i saw a kid with laser eyes in my neighborhood i told fucking everyone yeah in case he was like shut up matt not again with your stupid stories kathy kathy is this girl's name okay there you go uh <laughs> yeah no she remarkably is pretty well composed and she's not necessarily comfortable with Jonathan, but like she's willing to accept that maybe what he did wasn't intentional. Yeah. She's intrigued and also sort of like, I don't know, human about it. Yeah. Uh, the thing about it, Jonathan is he's embarrassed about the whole situation cause he killed his cat. Yeah. Um, and doesn't want to tell his parents like he hasn't told his parents yet because obviously that's kind of bad. Yep. You, you can't really nuke a cat from, you know, with your laser eyes. Um, all right. So let's talk about Green Arrow. Let's, because this was a fun book to read. This was, and I mean, I don't know how much I need to talk about this, except for the fact that every time I read any of the new 52, or sorry, Rebirth uh, Green Arrow, I just think, God, what a shit show the Arrow TV show is. <laughs> like when he, when uh, Ollie says something along the lines of, hey, pretty bird, 
uh, what as they're naked in bed together, yeah. waking up. Yeah. I'm just like, well, good job, Guggenheim. You fucked up even harder. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing about the Arrow TV series versus the Green Arrow show is like, the the creators Guggenheim specifically of the Arrow show they're just like well how many stories can we tell with with Black Canary and I'm like well All there's one there's a million <laughs> and you stopped at number three yeah Ollie that's the thing Ollie is a socialist warrior essentially and I don't mean socialist in a bad way I mean like he is all about the common man yeah fighting social injustice everything else and so is canary they, they basically fight for the people i mean fuck it he's he's the modern day robin hood yeah i mean that's it's not even like that's not even a metaphor stretch he's got a bow and arrow and everything yeah yeah fun fact robin his original outfit with the booty mm-hmm. excuse me robin hood robin hood inspired yep yeah, yeah. um Man, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this book except for that I enjoyed it, and it just makes it every time I read this book. Like as I was reading, like each page, I was just like, "Well, this could be on TV," but instead, we got Guggenheim. Uh, Green Arrow Rebirth and Green Arrow Number One have been heads and tails so much better than the Green Arrow comic book since New Fifty Two. Like it's it's not even funny how much better it's been. Yeah. And I've read all of them. That's the thing. Is like I've, I'm a regular reader of Green Arrow, so I've read all of all of the issues of the New Fifty Two, and it never has felt like Green Arrow to me. It has felt like Arrow a few times. Yeah, um, and that's and I think evidenced that's what they were going for. But like they miss the boat so much with that. Well, that's evidenced in in this book because you you get the reintroduction of Shadow. Yeah, in this book, uh, as a character. Um, I'm kind of curious as to where uh, Emmy is in this, mm-hmm. uh, because seemingly up to this point she's been a good little sister and just kind of wants to hang out with her big brother and and help him out and whatnot. And that's not where this book ends off no. at all. Super awesome. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna be checking out Green Arrow number two for sure because I want to know where that's at. Yeah. Uh, I but mean- I'm I'm just glad we have an Oliver who is all about fighting the social injustice and not all broody and stupid and dating Felicity. This one, you know, basically stops trying to be Batman light. Um, It does. So again, because Green Arrow has been here before, but yes. Yeah. I mean this, and this is not a new place for Green Arrow, you know, stopping trying to be Batman light. So we have one more title left to talk about. So Titans Rebirth. I love it so much. I want to have its babies, dude. So okay, and I, you know, first off, that's not even fair because I love it so much. I want to have its babies, and I don't even have nearly the history with this book or series that you do. So I went to my comic shop, and I was like, "Hey, I want Titans Rebirth number one," and they were like, "No, yeah, we don't have that." And the reason it's gone. Well, this was before it came out. This was two weeks ago. Um, but the reason is because they got to get they they have to get their orders in ahead of time and. Nobody pre-ordered any of these Rebirth books. Like, everybody was like, well, Rebirth, whatever. We just had New 52 five years ago. It's no big deal. Yep. Problem is, is this is a really big deal, and these books have been fucking selling like crazy. And they were like, well, here's the deal. We only ordered one Titans Rebirth, and it's already spoken for. And I was like, well, fuck. 
<laughs> What's that guy's name? I'm not going to kill him or anything. Yeah. 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 I promise. I promise there's not going to be any reason he's not going to pick up his comic books. Um uh so I had a I had to order this one digitally and and whatnot. Um not not the preferred format, but you know, it is what it is. This book is so good, dude. I loved it. I I really did. Um so this book fo- follows Wally West uh basically as he reconnects with the Titans. Um all so- of them. All the original them. Titans, like we get, we get Nightwing, yeah, right? um, and we haven't seen this kind of incarnation of Nightwing in a while. We get, uh, Jesus, there's so many of them. Um, Garth, yeah, Aqualad, Donna Troy, my favorite, yeah, because she was such a huge. Uh, part of the the Green Lantern world that I grew up in with, with Kyle Rayner because her and Kyle Rayner dated for a period of time and whatnot. Obviously, this is a different Donna Troy. I mean, it's not different, but like things have changed in, in our universes. Donna Troy, when she was dating Kyle Rayner, had a kid, which I think might have been Arsenal's. Hmm. Um, that doesn't exist at this point. Yeah. You know, um, but still, she's, she's one of the integral characters. She is kind of the... Um, teenage version of wonder woman in this only now we're not at teenage level like we're we're this is why we're not the teen titans this is why this is not teen titans rebirth this is just titans rebirth these these guys are are uh they're legit like they've been they're they're not a a super team that needs overseen by the justice league or anything they they kind of do things on their own now yeah see that was the thing i took away from this too especially having watched um and read some you know teen titans stuff lately like uh oh arsenal is one of the <laughs> titans by the way point. <laughs> um Roy Harper. very very big absence of the teen in the teen titans this is titans rebirth um so that was fun it was also incredibly fun and and uh uh heartwarming to see um wally reunite with all, the, with all these characters because you know what it's the MacGuffin essentially of the issue is he touches each of the characters and there's a bit of lightning you know we would assume speed force shenanigans sure and uh the, suddenly they remember who he is yeah and so it's really fun to watch as they each go through that um that but, hasn't necessarily been the case with everybody that's been in contact with though and that's like it indeed. took Barry to pull him out and and like his own wife whom mm-hmm. he had kids with in, in the last incarnation that we knew this this Wally in. Uh, presumably that's not the case anymore. Yeah. And so it, it the bond that he has with the rest of the Titans, I think, is is kind of expounded upon by the fact that these guys, once he did touch them, they did remember who he was. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I love this book. I, I, I just love that we're getting Wally back. Like... Um, and I love the what the way that they're going with the Titans in general because um, we haven't had a Teen Titans title for a while. That's right. We have. We have. Yeah, we've we've had a Titans title, but it's not been this particular core group of Titans. Okay, that's this, fair. This group was brought back together in a, I think it was a five issue series called Titans Hunt right before the uh, Rebirth hit. Okay. I might go back and read it. I didn't at the time because I, it was just one more book, and I was just See, like, well, whatever. I think we've talked about this in previous shows, but I've never really followed the Teen Titans or Titans in general. Um, and now I really want to. Like, I'm going to keep reading this book, too, um, just because, it, if nothing else, it's interesting so far because of the way that they're reincorporating Wally into the story. So, Yeah, um, Wally West, 
and, and I've talked about this before, he is my my Flash. Yeah. And uh, the reason he's important is because he's not Barry Allen. Um, he kind of was, he got his powers in the same manner as Barry Allen and stuff, but he was kind of a troubled teen when when he got his powers and Barry took him under his wing and, and taught him how to be a, a Flash. He was Kid Flash until uh, 1985 when, when Barry died following the events of Crisis. Yeah. Um, when he became the Flash. And Wally figured out how to use his powers in different ways than Barry did. Um, for example, I don't believe, and I could be wrong on this because I didn't read a lot of pre-1985 Flash, but I don't believe Barry... F- like vibrated himself through barriers and things like that. Um, and, or was able to separate his molecules with it, with utilizing the speed force and, and Wally figured that stuff out. Yeah. Like I got nothing there. Yeah. Um, so, and, and he is the modern age flash. Like it, it doesn't matter what you believe or, when you watch TV or read comics or anything like, well, of course, Barry Allen's a flash. Well, that wasn't the case for a lot of years from 1985 until what? 2004. Yeah. No, 2006, I think. So we had 21 years. Talking to the, the flash rebirth. It would be yeah. when Barry yeah. took the mantle. Yeah. It's been in a phenomenally long time. 21 years. Like he wasn't the flash. So like, in, in, in a- and while he was, like, it's not even so much that he wasn't the Flash, because for all intents and purposes, Barry Allen was the Flash, but he didn't exist. Like, Wally has been the Flash for all of those years, and nobody's been paying attention to that, you know, in modern incarnation. So yeah. I, I love seeing uh, Wally getting his comeuppance a little bit. Comic, and, uh, comic books is a medium. Like, we have genres. Like, we have the Golden Age. We have the Silver Age. We have the Modern Age. Now we're in the Digital Age. Um so Barry Allen was very much the Silver Age Flash, but the Modern Age Flash was Wally West for sure. And uh, I mean those those names seem kind of archaic now because if you're if we're beyond the Modern Age, obviously it's it's not modern anymore. But that's that's kind of the title that that it was given, yeah, and that stuck. So it is what it is. Um, and I like the new costume. Like the new costume is really cool because it's kind of a take on the Kid Flash costume, but he's like you don't look at it as being a juvenile costume anymore. Yeah. It's not moving backwards. It's sort of the, uh, you know, merging of the two, which is fun. My, my big thing after the events of, of the original flash rebirth by Jeff Johns was, I was like, man, how are they going to do this with both of them as a flash? And it turns out they didn't have to do it for very long because that's when they went into the flashpoint and then new 52 right after that. And all of a sudden just one of them didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, which I always thought was too bad because for a guy who carried the mantle for 21 years as the flash, like for him to just be gone, I thought that was kind of bullshit. Yeah. So I, I like that we're getting a, um, you know, reversal retcon of that. Yeah. So to speak for sure. All right. So any more thoughts on Titans? Uh, just that I'm going to continue reading Titans. Oh, I mean, for sure. for sure. Like so far rebirth for me has been basically on fire. Like the least favorite I've had so far has been Aquaman, but it wasn't bad enough that I'm not going to read it the next time it comes yeah, out. I'll, so. I'll read Aquaman number one yeah. when it hits. Uh, re- Aquaman rebirth wasn't my favorite, but I, uh, I dig the dynamic between him and him and uh, Mira. Yeah. And I'll keep reading just for that. If nothing else, the, the thing with Aquaman rebirth, 
is, and and I've talked about this on the show a lot. Comic books are, are a combination of writing and art and and dialogue. And if you have a, a book that focuses more on dialogue than than art, or more on art than dialogue, it kind of suffers. Aquaman Rebirth kind of was a little bit dialogue heavy, in my opinion. Like it should have told the story a little bit more visually and and less preachy. Yeah. That that was my big problem with it. I didn't have a problem with the actual story. The story was fine. And I like Black Manta as a villain. And we got to see that that end yeah. scene uh in that particular book, which I thought was awesome. Uh it just was like it 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 talked an awful lot about how Aquaman doesn't just talk to animals and everything else and it should have shown more things yeah all right everybody that's the show for this week um if you want to hear more and see more and things like that you can go follow us on facebook facebook.com slash whatever show you can follow us on twitter at whatever show uh you can go on itunes and give us a rating and we'll keep producing these things you know what honestly we're probably gonna keep making them anyway yeah but, we're not gonna stop yeah if if you want if you want to you know give us some money so we can make bigger better things you can go give us some ratings and shit like that on itunes and that would super help out for us uh you can email us your questions questions at whatevery.co and otherwise i guess we'll see you next week uh we'll definitely see you next week um yeah i'm gonna stress the importance of following us for sure on twitter um yeah we're we're getting a little bit of a following on twitter which is amazing we'd like to see more of you uh kind of tag in and and respond to us oh see that's the thing that i love about comics in this whole genre and um in the whole um not just comics but nerdery in general uh there's so many different opinions to be had and uh, i feel like we could get more of them yeah comic books in particular like we've we've met a few people in the twitterverse that we've we've conversed with uh, that have had some opinions and and we've kind of had different opinions. But the thing about it is, is in a universe where everybody just talks shit on social media because they can, because nobody ever sees their faces. The nice thing about the whatever show and the parties that we've had contact with on Twitter, while we may not necessarily agree on everything, it's been respectful conversation. Oh yeah. It's and been, been awesome. Bring so more. yeah, bring more of it. And Follow us, rate us, uh, email us questions at whatever.co because we will answer them. Yeah, probably. Without question. Yeah. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Later. <laughs>